Roadies. The mysterious allure of a gruff figure dressed in black. Believe it or not, roadies do more than push cases. They also yell at you for setting your drink near them. Sometimes for looking at them. Sometimes for existing in their space at all. Renowned for delivering the toughest scowls to concert attendees for no reason. Roadies have all excess passes. Not just backstage, but seemingly all over the world. Behind the scenes experts at concerts, events, and even the presidential address. Roadies sometimes travel the road with a band on tour, but many live among us working day jobs at conference centers, equipment rental houses, and local production companies. Sound, lights, video, elaborate stage sets, and more. Roadies design what you see, hear, and feel. They put it all together, operate it, tear it down, and do it all over again. My guest today is one of these roadies, but don't you dare call him one. He prefers the name production manager. He's worked with some of the biggest artists and companies all over the world, from rock bands Jane's Addiction, Green Day, Offspring, Dawes, and even a mattress giant, Simmons Mattress. But enough for me. Let's get into it. Ever wanted to start up a conversation with someone new and interesting? You're in luck. I'm doing it for you. You're listening to One on One. Morning, good afternoon, good day. I'm your host, Elijah Mora. You're listening to One on One. I'm here today with my special guest, Chris Warndahl, District Manager of Texas Miller Pro AVL, a full service production house serving the U.S. with sound, light, staging, backline, and more. Chris, so um, I've known you for about 12 years. Yeah, now. a long, t- a mm-hmm. long time now. We've we've known each other. Um, We've done shows together, even on consoles back in the day. I yep. think we've mixed some shows together and whatnot. For everybody out there, Chris is in the production industry, so in the event industry, specializing in sound lights, videos. I know he's been on a ton of tours, worked with a ton of artists. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about, like, just elaborate more on that, who you are, like, what you do now. What I do now is I run, as you said, Miller Pro Audio. <clears throat> and currently I'm managing two offices, both Dallas and Austin, trying to push us into a kind of a new area. Uh, we're in Dallas right now, which you're kind of floating in between, but you live in Austin. Yes. So how long have you been in Austin? I've been in Austin for about that time we've known each other, 12 okay. years. Cause okay. I, you know, and I was in Corpus for three years before that. Okay. And I was freelancing for Miller back then, when we, I think when we first met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So where are you from originally? I'm from Los Angeles, California. Born and raised there most of your life? Yeah, I was actually born in a little beach town called Newport Beach. Great place to grow up. I went to elementary school on the sand. Okay. Uh, I would surf before school and stash my surfboard underneath a lifeguard stand. Okay. Get busted at lunch, you know, okay. third grade. Are I'd you pretty good out. at surfing? Huh? Are you pretty good at surfing? Uh, I was, yeah. Yeah? Do you um, still surf at all anymore? Behind or? my boat, yeah. yeah? I okay. do some wake surfing. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I'll show you some funny videos when we're done so here. So, what's your, we're going to kind of break it down to, to just from the beginning, so what's your 
family like? You know, mom, dad, what did they do for a career? Like, was it, was music in the business? Like, was it in the family or? No. Uh, Dad was a bartender at the local bar, turned into a bookie. Okay. (laughs) So if you want to bet a football game, I know all about that. So side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, a little side work. (laughs) (laughs) And mom was uh, a waitress, three jobs back in the day in the 70s. You could do that. And uh, I remember her going to school. Um, She would be waitressing three jobs, taking care of three kids on her own, no dads around, and would put herself through school and became a fairly successful mortgage broker. Oh, there was no daycare back then. You just, no. You're man, on, no man, there's the beach. You're just you, on, know, you just go day, hang out over there. Day, daycare was a good neighborhood, you know, okay. and neighbors watching out for each other way back then, okay. you know. So high school, where'd you go to high school? Newport Harbor High, okay. uh, just up there on the bluff in Newport Beach. Okay. Um, when I left there, I went to Orange Coast College okay. on to Cal State Dominguez Hills, which got me up into LA. Gotcha. But, uh, as I couldn't get a decent job. And, okay. and uh, what were you, what was, what was your first job? Like what, what was promoting the little bands and working okay. at a pawn shop? How did you well, get into music? Like what inspired you, you said, Hey, I want to work in this. I'm sure you were in 1984. A band or okay. So 1984, uh, I get a call, but he's got an extra concert ticket to a Depeche Mode concert okay. at Irvine Meadows. Okay. And, we're lawn tickets. I mean, no, total nosebleed. And back then, before fire marshals and all these people worried about how people, 15,000 people would get out of a, a venue, it would yeah, take yeah. me two hours to walk out. And I watched the concert was amazing. I mean, it's yeah. just like first time I'd ever seen a concert. I'm 11 years old. Yeah. This is the most amazing thing I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, and yeah. Then, dude, I see, I see this magic happen. And at, after the last song, 50 dudes on deck just tearing all this cool set down, yeah, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I just thought, man, I would love to do that one day. And that venue later on becomes pretty important in my life. Anyway, I saw that was my first thing. And so music took on this magic moment, bought all the records and went through. It was Depeche Mode, The Cure, you know, gotcha. Audio Vox, all that yeah, 80s, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. classic stuff yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was all about that stuff. And there was real magic behind what I would see. And you'd see the videos and I started going to concerts and then started hanging out with friends' band. And they all wanted gigs and didn't know how to get gigs. So I made gigs, you know. Okay. Coffee shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got the uh, got the uh, special events division at my high school to do a lunchtime concert. Okay. I got just started becoming involved in this stuff. House parties at uh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Back when we could have backyard parties yeah, and yeah, cakers yeah. and be underage. Yeah, and all house that. shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. House parties. Yeah, yeah. Getting all that, getting all that happening. Yeah. And not really making any money, but just kind of becoming that guy. And then it was uh, one of those bands played uh, the local big club. Um, Trying to remember what the place was called. The Roadhouse down in uh, okay. San Juan Capistrano. Okay. Is it still there? It's still there. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I've, I've played a bunch of concerts oh, there cool, as cool. a professional. Okay. But I got to tear down uh, his bass rig. I thought, okay. oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. That was it. This that is was it. it. Yeah. And, he, and they... Uh, they uh, got paid, I think, a hundred dollars, and there was eight of us, and I got whatever that eighth was as a yeah, as yeah. my pay for yeah, the night. Yeah, I yeah. Just, oh man, yeah, you oh, just man. that's it. This is where mm-hmm. I want to be. So, yeah. did you ever think about going into the studio side, or it was always Never. like I want to do live no, stuff? No, it was the live thing. It was that magic of the moment, you know that 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 80, 1984 I saw. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. goes back to nineteen eighty four. So you get in. You're a you're a stagehand slash loader at this club. Yeah. In, in what year but was that? When that you, was that was. I want to say 89, right before I graduated high school. Okay, so five years after Depeche Mode concert yeah. <laughs> changes your life. Well, that that was one thing in doing all this little stuff. So I don't know if you remember, but there was the first car CD player. Okay. And this is how I actually got my first real job. So I've, the thing was like this. Had my had my 1978 Volkswagen Rabbit, and we're going to the all-ages goth club. 
Okay. You know, and it's me and like six people and a little rabbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. We're, we're heading up there. And I mean, there can't be more than 15 other people in this place, but I think it's the coolest thing. I've never been to a club. Well, I'd done that one thing, but you know, I'm going to this dance club and we're going to do this yeah, stuff. Yeah, and yeah. the girls are in the car and we're all having this fun and everybody's getting ready at somebody's house. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. We get there and. It's, I don't know. We got there early. It's 1030. Yeah, but yeah. by 11 o'clock, one of the girls knows Bart, who's the DJ. His turntable goes down. He can't finish the night. I mean, the, the club is just shut yeah. down. And one of the girls says, hey, my buddy's got this car CD player. Man, I only own five CDs. But I helped Bart hook it up. know what those were? Uh, Bauhaus, Depeche Mode, okay. The Cure. Um, I want to say probably some other, couple eighty synth bands. Okay. I don't remember. How, I'm just sidetracking. How much did the CD player cost, <laughs> and how dude, much were the CDs? Dude, the CDs uh, back then, and we're talking nineteen eighty nine dollars, yeah. twenty five dollars, and I spent one ninety nine on, on the, that. And the worst part is, I had to put a cassette deck for another hundred and fifty dollars into the Volkswagen. But you had the combo. Yeah, you yeah, could yeah. do either <laughs> in or out. Oh yeah, yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. You know, so. And that's when the CDs came in the big cardboard. Mm. And you just had the CD up here, the CD in the case. Yeah. But it came in this big yeah. contraption. A lot weird. of things people don't know, too, about CDs is when they came out early and got adopted is that nobody was actually mastering mm. four CDs until 94, 95. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they would just take whatever came off a of tape and just throw it straight onto the CD. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until they realized that, hey... We can do this differently. Yeah. It wasn't until then. And I still have that 1988 copy of the 1984 Depeche Mode CD. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Still my favorite record, by the way. Okay. So DJ shit goes down. Yeah. And so he says, hey, man, how much you want for your CD player? And I said, well, it's not for sale. And he's, no, no, rent it. I said, well, I don't really care. Just let me do this with you. Yeah. So I sat up there, DJ, and he said, man, you're, you're a cool kid. Why don't you hang out and see you next Friday? Come next Friday, the um, the club meets me, and I'm just I'm doing whatever, man. I'm sweeping the floor, I'm hooking yeah, up the yeah, stuff. Yeah. I, this is my gig, yeah, and I'm into it. So the club owner says, "Hey, man, you want to work tomorrow night too?" And I said, "Yeah, doing what?" He said, "Doing sound." Okay, whatever that means. And I yeah. actually this old PM one thousand one vocal mic, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was my first sound gig the next okay. night. So. Through this club, and this club is now Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, okay. Long Beach, California. Okay. Used to be called Toe Jams. <laughs> okay. That's a better name yeah. is Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles for sure. So if you, if you got any listeners in Long Beach, if they go by that Roscoe's, that's what we're talking okay. about. Okay. So um, I don't know. I worked there for a couple of months, and I kind of just became the kicking boy. I do sound. I DJ Friday nights. Uh, me and Bart started guest DJing at other venues. Then my life changes. Um this guy, Doc, a good friend of mine who just passed away two years ago, okay. or a year and a half ago now, um, he comes in with this band called December Flowers, and oh man, this is a big show, and I actually promoted this show. I hired the band, I got yeah, the flyers yeah, yeah. out, you know, I start, this is where I start playing yeah. around with different avenues yeah, and working yeah, yeah. in the business, and Doc comes in, and man, he knows all about this PM, I mean, this PM 1000. Yeah. I've only been doing two or three vocal mics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, we mic the whole band. Yeah, I mean, oh, man, all 10 channels of that band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was so impressed by my work ethic, uh, he called, you know, we exchanged numbers, and I think this guy's too cool for me. You know, long black hair, he's got the, you know, he's total gothed out, industrial guy, knows everybody in town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, me and him start talking the next morning. He calls me up and says, man, a guy just quit. 
you want to make a hundred bucks? And I said, man, do I? <laughs> I had to drive all the way to LA at that time. It was about an hour drive. Yeah. Drove up there. Me and him went and did this gig. Um, and we became best friends. And up until the day he passed, but I had rode his coattails through so many situations that we just kind of came up together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we went and worked for, uh, you remember, you've met Ed, the old yeah, guy that yeah, comes yeah, around yeah. once in a while? Ed Cerno, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. first sound company I ever worked for. Okay. And we were, man, just the gigs were so brutal. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I feel like they always are. Like, <laughs> right? Prob- I'm sure any industry that you come up in, like right. if you're really trying to get it, it's just like, you just got to be put through the ringer. Like, right. Yeah. So that that's the quick and dirty of how I kind of came up. And okay. then working for Ed, that's my first year of college at the, by this point. Last year of high school into my first year of college. And running up to Ed's place all the time was wearing on me. And that's when I caught that side gig at the pawn shop. So okay. I was still doing a couple gigs with... Um, with Ed and working the pawn shop and just trying to be normal college guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get this out of the way yeah, so yeah, I get yeah. the degree. Yeah. Well. So what what was your major? Uh, social psychology. Okay. I had a real interest in how to, you know, we were the melt were the melting pot that I yeah, still yeah. don't think quite works right. Yeah. And I wanted to. to that's why I went and chose Cal State Dominguez Hills. Okay. Because of the diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I was in Orange County, dude. I mean, even to this day. You know, it's not, you know, it's fairly white down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I hate to call it out like that, but go to Dominguez Hills next to Long Beach and Compton and L.A. and all the, man, the the diversity and the educated diversity and and just dudes from all walks of life just wanting to be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wanting to hang out together. It's like, there's the melting pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and talking about social situations, you know, because then was the Rodney King beatings. Yeah. You know, the L.A. riots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here I am in this big mix thing, and I'm driving through um, one of my biggest promoted concerts was Cadillac Tramps Social Distortion on the, or sorry, Cadillac Tramps and, uh, that was Pennywise headline, okay. uh, the night of the riots. Okay. And that was the first night it started. We're down in Santa Ana, California, still throwing this punk rock show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you plan the social psychology? Was that really just for your own, like, personal development? Or did the, you think, like, maybe I want to be a social worker one day or anything of the, that sort? Or the No, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make change. Okay. And I wanted to make change in that I don't see, I just don't see color and I don't see gender and I don't see sexual preference. I don't. I don't see that in people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just see people. Yeah. And I, I'm i thankful that that was all my mom. Yeah. My mom just didn't care as long as you were a good person. Yeah. And that was instilled in me. And I thought somehow I wanted to see everybody think like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a little little egocentric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the driving factor was why why would anybody care? You know, I don't, yeah. I don't care about those things. Yeah. And I don't want anybody else. And I want us all to come yeah. together and prove it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and that's coming out of a very 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're still fairly, uh, what's the politically correct? We're still kind of just... Yeah. Culturally I, segregated. Yeah. I, I think, you, you know, know, like if you look at, you know, the 60s and like I think 1967, 68, yep. when uh, interracial marriage was like federally abolished and, right. um, you know, de- like desegregation and busing, mm-hmm. you know, um, black kids to white schools and yep. white kids, vice versa. And also, you know, you know, even though they were a smaller minority, you also have the Hispanic kids mm-hmm. and the Asian kids and the mm-hmm. Indian kids. And even yep. though they were smaller, um, I feel like they don't get talked about as much as what they are doing. But what's interesting is with my grandparents is on one side, they were light skinned enough mm-hmm. that they got to stay at the white school. Wow. But on the other side, okay. they were too dark 
And actually, on on my dad's side, my grandmother was light skinned, so she got to stay. But her brother was too dark, so he had to get bused across, and he couldn't go to the white school. Wow! So this was before yeah, they yeah. even tried the desegregation mm-hmm. thing. But then you know, I think you have you know post war the Vietnam mm-hmm. thing. Everybody doesn't you know nobody wants that. It's all peace, right? Drugs. Right. There's not a whole <laughs> lot of drugs that are illegal at this point right. either. Yeah, yeah. And then and in the eighties, you really have uh, the sexual revolution, which right. was the whole right. AIDS right. things Before come AIDS out. Hit. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and all of these other things. And so yeah, there's this definitely this wave of diversity. And yep. I think you know in the I, I always wonder on one hand though, it's like what of it is 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 authentic and then what of it is a trend because then when you look at the trends if you're like in a southern state of you know whether it's alabama or arkansas or something like that especially you know in the 80s 90s etc mm-hmm. it was they were very late to the game yeah in you know in changing any of that stuff dude i dated a girl from virginia and the uh, i had to break it off with her just because she was a racist i mean i, I don't yeah. know what other way to put it but she i mean we flew somewhere and this black lady was you know i was in the window she was in the aisle and I had to change seats to make her comfortable. Yeah, and it was shortly after that trip. I just said, "Wow, this is this isn't who I am, and yeah, I'm, yeah, I yeah. can't, you know, I'm not I'm not going to do this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, everything else about her was like perfect. Was but, great, but whoa, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm was, gonna I'm gonna pin that. What was your first big tour, big band? I'm sure man, at some I point you jumped ship, right, from Ed and went out with somebody. So yeah. At the pawn shop, Ed actually talked me back in. He offered me my first salary gig at $350 a week. Okay. (laughs) But I was also able to now move to L.A. because I was going to Cal State Dominguez Hills, which is right there and closer to L.A. So now I'm working for him. Doc has left Ed and is now working for Greg Dean, who you've met, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Greg Dean owns No Show Sound. Okay. And they're the up-and-comer, and they're the ones that everybody talks about. So Doc's working over there. I'm working for Ed. Doc calls me up. <laughs> hey, you want to make a hundred bucks? Almost yeah. like the same thing again. Yeah, yeah. Hey, come over here and work for No Show. Oh shit, I can't, I can't tell Ed. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like it was a big no-no. Yeah, you know, it's a competitor. Right. Yeah. So I, I hop over, and they have between being the guys in a van that we knew them as, have now jumped into buying some a couple of eight eight fifties. They got some tours. This is this is getting to about ninety. Three ninety four. Okay, what is an eight fifty? Just for the people that don't know, real <laughs> Sorry. quick, real quick. Uh, EAW KFA fifty. It was a big touring box back in the late eighties into early nineties. Okay, uh, okay, right before Line Race became. But it was like it was amazing at the time oh, for oh, the design man. and oh. stuff. Like people don't want to yeah. touch them now, <laughs> but back then. For uh, you know what people were coming from, it was like without. revolutionary. Like yeah. that was it. That yeah. was on every rider. So <laughs> yep. okay, yeah, so yeah. back into that. So they were starting to take off, and here I come in. I'm all excited. I still got that fresh energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I see my first whirlwind mass connector. Okay, but it was such a good teacher. I knew about that. I knew about a P6 and an NL8. And, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Uh, all uh, the fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. All these, all these weird fundamentals that guys that were hitting them up for jobs didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Uh, I treated them with respect because I and it instilled in me how much this gear costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm working with that expensive gear. And yeah. I met this other guy who comes in. Uh, he's from out of town. And his name's uh, Roger Pigman. And he's going to okay. go out with this PM3000. And I looked at him and said, dude, you're that good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? And yeah. just floored him. And, you know, the whole shop starts laughing at me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because of that, they just they, they, they saw that energy that I had. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I became... Uh, I became their regular guy, okay. and I went from barely mixing on a 
you know, PV console or a Yamaha 1604 and one stack of side PA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're starting to talk about fly PA and what large companies do at large concerts yeah, yeah, and yeah. festivals. And they're at the entry level into that. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, we were the company taking over for the old school standards. You yeah, know, the yeah, Schubert's, yeah. Delicate. You know, yeah, Claire yeah, yeah. was uh, just starting an L.A. office then. A lot of cool stuff. 95, would, or no, sorry, Brett did 95 Warp Tour. We came in, took the gig in 96. We kept that up until 06. Um, so we did 10 Years of Warped. Uh, we did some of Tool's first tours. We did Green Day's first tours. We did, uh, and Greg's still with Green Day. Mm-hmm. You know, going back that far. KMFDM, Lords of Acid, um, King Crimson. I'm trying to think of, you know, we did Blink-182's first tours. We did so much stuff. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't even think of it all. I could probably yeah, yeah, ramble yeah. on for hours yeah. at you. And yeah. All the stuff we were doing, it was a hot place to yeah. be. But you were mostly still just doing sound at that time? Audio only, PA tech. You know, I was really Were you well mixing known. or were you just like Both mixing. just teching? Well, you know how it is. So yeah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was becoming a, a very well-known tech. Yeah. Uh, getting into 94, 95. I kind of, at my third year of college, you know, I had my son and I kind of, I was making decent money. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do? I'm, yeah, yeah. School yeah. has, school had these big dreams because I was doing... Uh, you know, we were working with Ice-T on a project where he was trying to bring Compton and Inglewood together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, red and blue, hugging it out. Yeah, he, yeah, was, yeah. he was on the forefront of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And trying to bring that together. And we actually did that concert. Unfortunately, it turned into a, a turf war. But um, and me and Greg were getting stuffed. We were getting stuffed into and under consoles. Yeah, yeah. Um, by security saying, yo, white boy, you, you just, you don't want no part of this. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh what I forget what the guys that wear the hat, the suits. Um, uh, they did all the security for you know uh, African American events in L.A. because they they were the only ones who earned the respect yeah, of yeah, the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, but it was just funny. How, I mean, the that guy. I'm scared. I've, I've I've heard gunfire. I'm from Orange County. Yeah, yeah. I ain't from the hood, man. Yeah. I, I know nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, hip hop's just coming on yeah, the scene. Yeah, yeah, You know, so I've only heard a few of the N.W.A. stories. Yeah, and I just yeah, know yeah. Stuff's heavy. So. The, the, the feeling of this hand on my head and pushing me under the con, oh, you know, old big Soundcraft 800B, put, putting me and Greg underneath. Yeah. You know, it was scary. But events like that, they were trying they were trying so hard to, you know, here's all these guys you thought were so hard on record. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. and I did too. I was afraid of all these dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, here's Ice-T really trying to do something for the community. Yeah, Ice Cube. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the we got to do so many cool events. I'll finish. I'll, I'll try to wrap the Greg yeah, Dean yeah. because me and Greg Dean were together for twelve years, yeah. and uh, there was a period where I went out. I got. I went out with Tommy Lee. So I'm working in this place called English Acid, and for any of the old uh, metalheads back in L.A., it was a very corner cornerstone club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, a band called Sixteen Volt with a buddy of mine, Craig Tyler, uh, who's now Liquid Giraffe DJ. He. Uh, I didn't know him. I just knew the band. Um, and he was just a super nice guy when he walked in. Yeah, yeah, And he's yeah. a guitar player. And man, I can't make this nice guy happy in the monitors. I just can't do it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, but me and him, we're hitting it off at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, man, I, back in New York, I do a little mixing. You might. I said, no, man, show me what I'm missing here. What do you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boom, boom, boom. And it was just he wanted a little more high end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he felt better than he got involved. Mm-hmm. This is where I break off into more of my own person. So this okay. is getting into... 80, 98, 99. This okay. is after me doing three, four years of Warp Tour, uh, which was just, you know, Warp Tour. I can tell you Warp Tour stories in a second. But yeah, so yeah. I do this little favor for Craig. He calls me up. He's just scored a gig with Orgy. 
And this is, you know, they did the big Blue Monday hit. And they were on, you know, I got to do uh, Woodstock. 97? <laughs> was that when they yeah. redid it? Was it 98? 97, 97 yeah. 98. We're, ta- we're talking about such old stuff. I should have Googled some of the yeah. stuff I did. I remember, the though, day. like on the news, yeah. though, it was like, whoa, yeah. it's coming back. So, and it was a shit show. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It really yeah. Was. <laughs> so I got to do that with those guys. But he brought me along. He was the front of house guy. So. Got it, popped onto that orgy train with him, and uh, then we got to take, you know, that was the first time I scored the gear on the gig. That okay. was my big sale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that launches me into, orgy. first orgy tour is over. He scores a gig with Tommy Lee. So, man, three guys were trying to do monitors for Tommy. Tommy fires all three guys. I'm out on Lord's Acid, and I get food poisoning on the flight. And our food poisoning right before the flight, I get the call, man, Tommy's firing everybody. You need to go in and handle monitors for Tommy. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't want to do that tour. <laughs> I just <laughs> yeah. don't. I'm, I've been out for six months. I'm so tired. I just want to come home. Yeah, yeah. I got food poisoning. I, you No, you got to go. This is Greg. You know, yeah, if yeah, you've yeah. worked with Greg, you know, he can talk you into anything. <laughs> so I, I'm sick and I'm sitting behind the console at, at Tommy's place. And uh, Craig, we call him Squirrel because he'd squirrel away stuff in his bunk. He always had snacks. So Craig walks in and goes, man, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm like, dude, thanks again. You know, my my other side takes over. So thanks again. I'm glad I'm here. But, dude, I just listened to all the wedges. And my buddy Lance Brozovich was the monitor guy before me. And I'll tell you right now, at that time, Lance, and maybe even today, Lance was a better engineer than me. Better. I'm He's just straight just, up, yeah. He had some skills, man. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He would take care of bands I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it, it was a love-hate relationship between me and Lance because we're both yeah, fighting yeah. for the gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I listened to it, man, and that stage sounded good. Yeah. It really did. And um, so after that, I'm sitting behind the desk waiting for the band. First dude walks in, Stephen Perkins. He's the drummer for uh, Jane's Addiction. Uh-huh. In my world, hell yeah. All right? <laughs> yeah. Jane's Addiction, probably the sixth CD I bought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So he hops in, I meet him, and I'm, dude, I'm trying to keep the starstruck down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, then uh, a couple other guys walk in. Uh, Chaney, uh, Chris Chaney, he played with uh, all the girls back in the day. He's on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, Shell Crow's record. He's gotcha. on Alanis Morissette's record. I mean, he's just that. He's yeah, an yeah. L.A. player, man. You yeah, need yeah. a real bass player, he comes in. So I'm seeing everybody's a name brand. Yeah, yeah. And here comes Tommy. And Tommy, dude, he just dropped E-tune and open, open playing guitars. He's singing. He's having a good time. And I'm watching my band. And I'm kind of watching a little too much on Steven. And I'm watching. Nobody's asking for a thing. Three songs in, uh, Stephen Perkins says, no, cut, 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 cut. Stands up, says, hey, Tommy, we got our monitor guy. So it was one of those situations where Lance was so focused on Tommy, he never looked at anybody else. Mm. And so I popped on the tour with Tommy. Opening band was Crazy Town. So you you didn't touch a thing. It was still <laughs> Lance's mix. Yeah. I mean, you I just came in an and, or two, and gave some, yeah. you know, just gave a little attention yeah. and then they were good. Yeah. yeah. So that's what the deal was for that band. But was, you didn't, it wasn't a conscious effort of you saying like, I know these guys just need, so you were just like, I, just oh, want, I like all these guys. So uh, yeah, 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 you're yeah, just, just into having, it. Again, I'm, yeah, I was. I was, yeah, I was yeah, into yeah. the players. At the time when I first heard the music, Tommy was a little ahead of his time, you know, and I wasn't necessarily back in that CD until I heard the songs played a few times. So yeah, it was truly just being like, wow, look at all this talent, get a little starstruck over here, a little, all right, Tommy's not a bad guy. I thought he was yeah. going to be, 
some rock star. He was, yeah. He's the most down to earth dude you ever met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, boom, I headed off. I go on tour. First time I went to Europe was no, no. So, second time I went to Europe. First time was with Ozo Motley. Okay. Ozo Motley was the first band I ever worked for as a front of house guy. Okay. I picked them up off of 98 Warped. Um, and great guys. But uh, getting back to this little story is so we do the whole Tommy thing. Crazy Town opens up for us. Craig gets the guitar player gig and records the song Butterfly with them. So now, again, I get a call, and Craig says, man, I'm making some real money, and I think this tour manager is ripping me off. And I think I started by mixing front of house, got my friend Craig Underwood to mix front of house for them. He was, I was his tag uh, on the Moby tour. So Moby's 2000 play tour, I was KF850 tag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With a pair of XL3s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, more outboard gear you can shake a stick at. Um, so I brought Craig Underwood over to uh, the crazy town. He did front of house. I did monitors. Richard Cole, who was Led Zeppelin's uh, tour manager, old English guy, old gangster English guy. He actually put out a book that I'm in. And uh, I forget the name of the book. I should have bought a copy. <laughs> Sorry, Richard, if you hear this. I love you to death. Uh, <laughs> so anyhow, he uh, he decides he's had it. You know, I mean, everybody's seen the lead singer, Seth, on uh, Celebrity Rehab and all that. And it's all true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Richard quits. That's what, you know, and I'm like, ah, you know, whatever. And uh, that's when Craig comes to me yet again, furthering my career, says, dude, you got to step up and tour manage this thing. You're the only one I trust. And I think I might make some money off this gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, the way you're spending money, I don't Anyway, <laughs> we yeah, don't want to yeah. get into the insights. Yeah, but yeah. again, here's my buddy, you know, bringing me in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, boom, step up, take care of tour managing. And this is during OzFest 2000, I want to say, mm-hmm. that this happens. No, 2000, I was on OzFest with Tommy Lee. 2001, I was on OzFest with them. And then we went to Europe several times. That, that Those guys had four hits over in Europe and only one here. Oh, we went down to Cancun, and this will get into another topic we're going to hit a little later. But this is where the first time I tried any drugs. I never really drank. I never really did anything. Yeah, you know, I'd have a few beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was that kind of guy. Maybe. But was that just because you were so focused? You were like. Yeah. I, when I, just, everybody I had was, no interest. I was having so yeah. much fun living life on high school, terms. college, it's like everybody's getting loaded, partying, all that other stuff. So while they were doing that, I'm doing these you're concerts. Trying to get, you're trying to get a job. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah I'm yeah. doing these concerts. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I was, you know, I'm. I'm getting to do Offspring as they're coming up. I got to do No Doubt as they're coming up. All back then, um, it, it was a really good time to be in SoCal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially for a company doing so many of those rock gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was I was too hot to get on to the next thing. And, you know, so anyhow, out with those guys. They were all pretty casual and using stuff. That was the first time I tried a little blow, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it was fun. Yeah. You know, and it, so... Doing that, then I got the call to do back. Did a couple of back tours, um, monitors for Green Day for covering over here. I was starting to become the filling guy. And these are all accounts, Greg Dean accounts. Greg so. Dean and people I was starting to meet on my own. Gotcha. Which starts to come into the next phase of me and Greg Dean, and then moving on in life. Okay. So um, we're getting into like 2002, and I forget what year the first year of Coachella was, um, but we did the first three years. I did the first three years with uh, Industrial Sound, Greg Dean. And then I did, I know, 2004, 2005, and maybe 2003 with uh, Rat Sound on the main stage. The year The Cure played, the year Beasties played. Uh, 
God, it all melts together. You know, when you're doing it, yeah, you don't yeah, think you just go. that I need to keep track of yeah, this because yeah. I'm going to tell this one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really got to this point. You know, you can ask a lot of those guys that were around me at the time. We were just doing it. Yeah, you just you know, go. And Coachella then wasn't what Coachella is Nobody now. Nobody cared about it. No, like, not really. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was the laughing stock that age, uh, was it SSF, SFX or How many AG people do you time? think were there the first year? Dude, Tool headlined the first year. Okay. And I mean, the locals came out for it. Yeah. I think, I, man, looking around, it sure felt like there was at least 20,000 there. Really? I mean, it was successful its yeah, first yeah, yeah. year. It was the first time in Southern California. Well, I say it was the first time. It was the first time in my generation that we had saw a festival cater to us. There hadn't been anything like that, though. Like, I think so people know, like, Woodstock happened yep. in 77. Yeah. And there was, uh, you know, if you look back, you'll see that there was stuff happening in Seattle. I think that was K-Love. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was some big festival that happened, up, but they were a handful. It wasn't to the, yeah, and it wasn't yeah. to the size or scale no. of, of, like, quantity that... Yeah. Once Woodstock happened again, people said, we can do this, make money. The industry yeah. started changing. Yep. Money went from record sales into the concert experiential. Okay, so you're about to break off from Greg Dean. Okay, so after the back tour, I actually ended up owning a piece of industrial sound. Okay. So I became part owner. Um, we kind of had some, you know, Greg was wanting to get out. You know, Green Day blew up. And they just, you know, they were touring for two years at a time. Greg mm -hmm. was bouncing between them and I think Tool at the time. So he's got his own career. Why be married to trying to make $50,000 a month of payroll? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Greg's leaving. I own part of this. And the other partner is just not interested in seeing the big picture. And I'm starting to feel like I'm weighted down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and this is... Um, I'm starting to feel weighted down. The drugs are starting to kind of take a part in my life. Drinking's taking a part in my life. And just seeing my whole life, you know, I mean, I, industrial was my life. Yeah. And when that kind of crumpled, I crumpled with it. Um, and I went to work for Rat Sound for, uh, I think, a year and a half at that point. Um, and went on to do a lot of good stuff at Rat. You know, got to work with Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Beastie Boys. I got to work with uh, Coachella on the main stages. Um, you know, all the radio festivals uh, that were that are going that are just a dime a dozen now in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I just I, I once industrial crashed. I kind of went through. You know, I was drinking a little too much, doing a little too much of whatever, enjoying the club scene. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Riding a little bit of all the guys I knew because I go to Tommy's house, party over there, go meet, you know, the Orgy guys down at the Goth Dance Club, Industrial Club, yeah, I yeah. go meet. Orgy is a band, just so yes, everyone yes, knows yes, Orgy sorry. was a band. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but I go hook up with these guys on their off days or whatever, and it, it was just, it kind of turned into a dark time for me. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that's when my mom retired, and uh, she wanted to go retire in Corpus Christi, so... I had owned a couple of houses. I got a little chunk when we sold industrial to PRG. Okay. Um, so I went and bought a few houses with my mom down in uh, Corpus Christi. And uh, that's uh, Tommy Rat, New Dros, and Mike, who were running the little Miller office out of Austin. Mm -hmm. So I started freelancing. 
you know, I was doing the weekend thing with Pat Green and, you know, kind of starting to become involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, down in Corpus, all the God's Concrete Street but and a totally couple things. scene. Like, you didn't know anybody, not, you know, the culture. You're, not a darn thing. Nobody knew you or cared who you were. No, you're, no, just no, no, a, no. you're just a dude. Left, <laughs> left L.A. So I thought when I got to Corpus that, you know, I still was holding on to a few counts. Uh, you know, KMFDM, Skinny Puppy, yeah. a lot of the underground industrial stuff. Had a couple of pop bands that I was kind of working for. Uh, and I found out how cold the business can be. Yeah. That flight out of Corpus killed three out of four of my main accounts that I was working with every year. So it was just KMFDM who was left, and they were really sliding down. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm mean, just going to face it. I got fired in Helsinki. I got too drunk and tried to throw the singer off a cruise ship. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I got fired. Okay. And I uh, flew home from Helsinki, and that, that's when I cleaned up my act. Yeah. And I was working. I got a call. You know, I was doing all the property stuff. We were running out of money. It wasn't a very successful venture, and I was getting sobered up, and I get this little call from a band called Simon Dawes. Okay. And I got to do, I think, f a few van tours with them, and I we supported Incubus and Maroon 5, and so I was like, okay. Was that an ego blow going from buses? Oh, yeah. Oh, to, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm back in a van, dude, driving a van. with several several trucks. Yeah. yeah. Are you and driving dude, the was, van? Oh, I was doing everything. Ooh. I had no work. Yeah. You know, I'd blown, a, uh, blown off a few good managers that I know from yeah. drinking. Um, you know, got fired from Hot Hot Heat, got fired from... I got fired a lot. So it was the moments behind that wheel in the van saying, like, you knew, like, I put myself here. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm driving, but, you know, it's like at least they're supporting some stuff. I'm getting to meet some new people. Um, yeah, you know, I got about nine months sober and uh, kind of blew that off, you know, with those guys. And uh, so after about a year of working with those guys, they got a little sick of my shit, kind of got fired. And they changed the name and went on to become Dawes. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm still friends with a couple of the guys, but... You know, I lost a good opportunity. I would yeah, yeah. love to have stayed with those guys. Taylor, Tyler and all the boys are phenomenal players. Mm -hmm. They're great people. They're still the most humble guys. I just saw Tyler at a festival yeah. a few months ago. Still the Malibu Beach kid that I met, you know, yeah. over 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, Tommy was trying to get me to meet up with Dross and... We did a little phone three-way interview, and I think I was hungover. Dross wasn't really interested in talking to me, mm -hmm. and Tommy was trying to make the connection, and it didn't happen. I roll into Emo's in Austin. This was Tommy Rat. Tommy Rat, yes. Okay. And I think you've met him. He mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. used to yeah. come out with us all the time. So I cruise uh, and do this outside Emo's annex back in, uh, you know, this is 05 now. Okay. And uh, meet Dros in person. And he and has, how old are you in 2005? 2005, I was, what, mid-30s? Okay. No, early 30s. Okay. Yeah, so I meet Dros. And uh, me and him headed off. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm Tommy's friend. They had a rat sticker on one of the cases. I'm like, oh, who's the rat guy here? Drew says, well, that was me. We were associated with rat, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Before, you know, a couple dudes talking. And I said, man, I'm stuck in Corpus. Didn't realize there was going to be no work there. My bands aren't flying me out anymore. And he starts saying, dude, if you don't mind driving up here, I've got gigs. So I started working. That's how I started working for Miller. Okay. Um, was off that. I'm still the only guy I know that's got a gig out of South by. And uh, that started off with me just being the weekend warrior. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I took over the Pat Green account. Um, and the properties down there, you know, 
Miller gave me that little Pat Green gig, gave me, mm-hmm. you know, I started phoning up, trying to get gigs, started selling gigs for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he put me on a nice little little tiny salary, real small salary. <laughs> real yeah. tiny. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that Pat Green and four or five days a week and to work on those properties. 2006, that was just after Wave on Wave came out? Yeah, yeah. It was 2005, yeah. right? Yeah. It was 2005, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was and really what just... In- yeah, he was a club dude. That a lot of people know Pat mm-hmm. Green and have done stuff with him, and there's a there's a whole other thing there. Right. But yeah, 2005, Wave on Wave, yeah. someone that comes out, and he mm-hmm. he goes from clubs like country festivals, oh, yeah. not as a headliner, yeah. to <laughs> arena guy, yeah. like overnight. Yeah, yeah. And that's when Miller got the gig, and I walked in <laughs> to a very nervous crew, and. You know, again, I'm feeling that Tommy Lee vibe again. Everybody, and I, I'm at, I worked for Pat. I'm still friends with him now. And I don't understand why everybody was so nervous around the guy back then. Maybe it's the hit. Maybe everybody finally thought, hey, we're going to make it. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what that was. But the monitor guy before me, he had uh, DBX IEM mastering processors and submixers and just all this whole rack convoluted yeah yeah and they wanted to switch to a pm5d which uh i'd only worked on a couple times but yeah. i took the gig like i'm a 5d master yeah, yeah i got it i got it yeah <laughs> so i just trashed everything they had in the band and the tour manager and the guitar tag you know um wheezy <laughs> mm. all came over and said dude you're crazy absolutely not you can't do this i said i will not do it this way this sounds bad yeah. And I kicked all that gear out, and they're like, man, you're good. I guess it was nice knowing you. They were on 5Ds until like yeah. not that long ago. They, <laughs> yeah, well, you got them stuck story. on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, all that stuff, I just trashed it all. Yeah. yeah and it was like three racks worth of weird stuff yeah, DFRs yeah. and blah, 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 yeah. blah. So, um, trash it all, get their talkback mics hooked up, got the band happy in, a, in just a minute. I mean, the drummer, Justin, he, he was a little bit picky, but once I got the vibe with him, me and him started, we clicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pat came in, played a set. Didn't look at me, didn't talk to me, didn't meet me, didn't nothing. Mm-hmm. And they we loaded the stuff up on the semi, and I got on the bus, and I guess everything was all right. So, yeah. and that was, you know, and I stayed with Pat for, I want to say a year and a half or two years. Okay. Uh, but the stuff at, you know, I moved up, started living in the shop. I mean, yeah, yeah. I had to rebuild from the bottom yeah. up. You remember me living in the shop out yeah. there. Yeah, but there was actually a shop in town in Austin. There was before. for a minute. I yeah. never, I saw it one time, and then they moved and then out into the Del Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they had that little apartment in it. Mm-hmm. So for me to get out of Corpus and get up there, that apartment was actually a good part because I still had that financial liability of those properties. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure how that was going to go. And that started coming together. This thing with Miller was coming together. I got up there, and I realized how small that Miller office in Austin was when I got there. Yeah. And that was actually really good for me. Yeah. Because I got Back scared. Back then... Lubbock was the huge the hot big spot. Shop. That yeah, was where I mean, Galaxy, they were making cases, yeah, the boxes, yeah. all the big accounts yeah. were, that's where they were out of. All the political stuff was yep. out of Lubbock. Yeah, mm-hmm. at that time, which is crazy because now I'm just Lubbock. Like, <laughs> in general, I mean, <laughs> but even. It, I think it's on an upward swing. We can talk about yeah, that yeah. later, but that, that little shop might have, yeah. we've been working hard and it's, it's paying off. Yeah, that's good. That's uh, good. So, yeah, that, but I got to Austin and I mean, dude. You remember. I mean, yeah. it wasn't nothing. Yeah. Dros and Mike were talking a big game. Yeah. And I got there and I said, oh, man, this thing's so small. Danny may shut it down. And yeah. here I am. I'm vested. I'm this. I'm that. Mm-hmm. And I just hit the street and got some of that excitement going again. I'm either going to sink or swim. 
And I, you know, you know, Danny, he's like, man, if you could just get it rolling, I'll get you whatever you need down there. Mm, yeah. And I got out there and changed the face of that little shop in no time. Um, and just, you know, it was in double digit growth all the way yeah. up until about three years ago. I finally, you know, I got finally keyed her off. You know, it, it, it leveled off. Yeah, it didn't yeah, go yeah. down. It just, you know, yeah. gigs, blah, blah, blah. And that's when I started reaching out. And that's when uh, reaching out to my friends. That's when, you know, we started doing Mayhem Tour, Uproar Tour, mm-hmm. uh, Oddball Tours, Jeff and Larry's Backyard Barbecue Tours. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. All these tours, that, you know, all these people I know, we did some stuff with Greg Dean for Identity Festival. Uh, a lot of my friends started coming back. It's kind of a weird thing. And started doing some shed tours and set mm-hmm. the stage lines out. I uh, helped Danny buy the first 320 in 2012 with mm-hmm. the Identity Tour with yeah. Greg Dean. Um, and John Reese with SGE. Um just a really, you know, time turner there, and I was yeah, able yeah, to be, yeah. all of a sudden be a part of that again. That that it's different. It's not the L.A. super cool, yeah, doing all that stuff. But now it's the Austin, Dallas. We're making stuff happen, yeah, and yeah, we're doing yeah. more special events, and we're broadening, yeah, so yeah. wide, yeah, for sure. That it's it's insane. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for a sponsor role, and we'll be right back for more on this episode of The Roadie. This podcast is sponsored by Movement Creative and Event Services. We're not the watch company, but we are someone to watch. Serving brands, agencies, businesses, and consumers with all your event and creative needs in the form of photography, videography, event design, venue selection, vendor management, production, entertainment, and more. You can find more about us on the web at www.mvmntcreative.com. That's www.mvmntcreative.com. Now back to your regularly scheduled program. I'm looking at our uh, yeah. at our uh, we get, we a, got a story, story line here. So yep. you kind of cover a lot of things. One of the spots we had here was memorable stories, successes, failures. I think we've talked about both of those. Some of the yep. failures you had getting kicked off. I think we can go into some of that with the other yep. part. Uh, mentors. It sounds like Ed was a mentor. Uh, Ed, Greg, Greg Dean. Dean. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Greg Dean, even to this day, is yeah. still a mentor. He's out with Smashing Pumpkins right now. Uh, you know, I mean, I just, talk, you know, we're friends. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still friends. Um, anybody else that was like that, that maybe maybe wasn't in the industry, but somebody that impacted you and maybe got you back on track or... No, I mean, you know, the owner of the pawn shop, Rio, was just a life-loving guy. Steve Simmons. Shout out to Rio. Huh? Shout out to Rio. Yeah, yeah. Sh- little <laughs> shout out to my boy, Rio. Uh, <laughs> haven't talked to him in, I think, 10 or 12 years. Okay. Uh, Steve Simmons, his father used to own Simmons Mattress. Okay. Uh, we can get it. <laughs> wow, yeah. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah. Was like, it gets weird, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have to be with me and Elijah to understand that connection. <laughs> but, um, you know, those two started the pawn shop, and they were just really good friends that... A lot of life lessons in that little pawn shop. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I learned how to speak some Spanish. and okay. Learned a lot about the culture from our Mexican brothers. Just you know, at, well, even here, yeah. just a hundred miles south. Yeah, had no idea. It opened my eyes up to uh, how different countries live. I just yeah. thought everybody, you know, 
I'm in Orange County. I'm naive. Yeah. You know, open me up. Yeah. And then when I started going over, it was really weird going to Europe during the Clinton years. Yeah. Into the Bush years. And how I went from identifying, you know, people, you know, I hear your accent. Where are you from? You know, oh, yeah, from L.A. Yeah. Bush took over. Hey, where are you from? Canada. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not that I'm pushing any political agenda. Yeah. It just, he wasn't very popular. You know, it seems yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Republican parties aren't very popular overseas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless of our political views. Yeah. Yeah. Here, what we feel about about them is, yeah. it's just weird. Every political, yeah. it, I, I've been around long enough that I can yeah. see certain things. But it's, it's probably different, though. I think you know, you said you went to a very liberal, diverse college. Yeah, that yeah. part of you know, kind of in the incubator, is yeah. different from when you're actually like, oh, hey, I'm going to go get a working job with right. you know, blue collar <laughs> job with working class people yeah. that are immigrants or otherwise, like. That's very different than diversity yes. class and inclusion yeah. class. And not that that's not important, I think. Right. But it's very well, different from, you know, living it. it. It helped me, you know, in seeing that, you know, because one of the topics I was hoping we'd cover, I don't know how much time we have left. We, we got just, chatty. We can just roll forever. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> but we got into, um, you, you mentioned it real briefly, Full Sail and the colleges mm-hmm. that are now offering school. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the generation gap, I'm now, I'm now the old guy and I'm, you know, we've talked about this, just me and you chatting is we now have, you know, I'm Gen X and you're the millennials Mm -hmm. and there's, man, there's been a lot of change yeah (laughs) and it's, it's a fundamental functional, it's a social, there's so many changes yeah and I just didn't think I would become how would you say it? I don't want to say uh, not. It's not. A, it's not an obsolete thing. It's a. Yeah. How did I become so close-minded and into my own thing yeah, yeah, yeah. that the millennials seem different? Yeah. And the schooling and because I still believe that we're in a master apprentice field. Mm-hmm. You can go and you can read the book. You know, like I know exactly how that works, but I can't work it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I've always been honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, logic. Yeah, I know how logic. Yeah. And I bet if I we're sat looking there, at an open body <laughs> on a table right now. <laughs> Sorry, I get, get into my. <laughs> no, but you know the recording software that we're using today. Yeah, I understand how it works and what it's yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Can I operate it? No. Could I figure it out? Yes, of course. Yeah. So now what's going on is we've got these young guys and ladies. You know that's been another nice change is we're seeing some more ladies, not mm-hmm. as many as I'd like. You know we're definitely yeah. not a fifty fifty industry yet. Yeah. Soundgirls.org is doing some amazing stuff with Gary Keys at the at the helm, uh, and she's a big player at Rat and Four Feeny who does Warp Tour. Um, but it's still not still not enough, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. They're going more into lighting. No, they don't want to do that. Yeah. When was the first female you saw out on the road or at a gig? Megan Metcalf okay. was working for Delicate Audio back in the day, eighties okay. and nineties. She's amazing. Okay, uh, just a how do I? <laughs> she is a larger than life girl. Okay, and fully tatted. I mean, she, she knocked me Don't out. Knock my you out. Yeah, oh yeah, okay. she knocked me out. Yeah, but. She, intelligent shares the knowledge doesn't yeah. have a problem you know i mean she favors the ladies because she wants to see yeah, ladies yeah, come yeah, in. for sure but she's she, you know she'll be mixing with a young guy and she'll kind of be like how'd you do that oh hey here's a yeah you don't mm-hmm. know did you, you know do this this is yeah, how this does yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. and passes that knowledge on and that's one of the things i'm having trouble with now is you yeah. know master apprentice is passing that knowledge on 
and, yeah. and letting guys know, why was I such a good tech back in the day? It wasn't because I was a badass engineer. It was because I knew how to, you know, I knew how to anticipate the needs of the engineer coming up, anticipate the needs of the band coming up, anticipation of those needs, and being technical enough to, when mm-hmm. a guy threw something at me on a heritage, I mean, did you do fun, fun, fun in the early days? Mm, when I, we were still analog I, I know consoles? The first year, the first year that we did it, I was managing some stuff, but I didn't go down for it. Okay, so yeah. we, you know, it used to be stage A on the left side of a Ther- Heritage 3000, and the other, the B side of the stage on the other side of the yeah, heritage. Yeah, yeah. So you're mixing a band, line checking a band, you know, inserts for days, you know, effect, effects for both yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we mixed, you know. Yeah. It was just, you had to be that competent. Yeah. And that's two bands going at the same time through one console. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which digital consoles can't do today. Yeah. Um, and you were just kind of expected to be able to roll with that yeah. <laughs> back then. And that was that. that's what I was good at, you know, and I was a good monitor engineer. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't always, hey, Chris, you're the badass engineer. No, it was, hey, you're the badass tech. I got more gigs yeah. off my teching ability yeah. than anything else, especially in the yeah. early days. Which definitely helps in the in the contracting world. Like yeah. mixing, I think we get into that is, a, is, I think mix engineers today from in the past, there's, you have some good and bad there. I think of some guys that mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, nowadays they just inherit scenes digital stuff and they just kind of go through it and they don't know the fundamentals but right. I mean, also the same thing back in the day I, I you know as was now a lot of times it's just like if you got a good tech if the pa is loud nobody cares like i, I don't think so many people are i as, think that's i think that's a texas culture though is we, just make it loud well when you're you know when you come out of la the shows are so important because you've got the booking agent there mm-hmm. uh movie producers who want and possibly put your track on the on their next movie. You've got uh, business managers, the lawyers, the man, you know, the actual yeah, band yeah. managers, the record labels. There, uh, the promotion firm is. I mean, you you can have. I mean, when Bowie played, you know, uh, at the Greek Amphitheater mm-hmm. back in I want to say two thousand three, and I was Niederlander was one of my big accounts. When Bowie plays, you're just, he plays a separate. Or when, when he did. Yeah. Um, he plays a separate show for the guest list, and the guest list paid a hundred dollars a seat. So that the night I was there, Man, Marilyn Manson's there, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Trent Reznor, you know uh, a couple of the uh, guys from Rolling Stones and Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sitting there. I've got great seats. I was in the first bowl, and I'm looking around with all this. I mean, Anthony Hopkins and you know yeah, yeah, yeah. actors and other rock stars, and that was the guest list show. Um, and then the next three nights were, you know, for the people. Um, and I forgot where I was going with that. Uh, we were talking about mixing and if that's being loud, this is the only thing so, that matters at the end of the day. Yeah. So imagine that 7,000 or that place held 10,000 people of just all these impo- they're just LA's a, LA, New York, Chicago, hotspots for important people. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So these shows, not, not, I mean, I can't tell you how many tours, you know, even with Tommy went through LA, your front of house guy changed. It, got a bad review yeah yeah, you're done and that's the stress that people were under yeah i was under that stress daily you know 100 shows a year everybody freaking out all the time have to have the best stuff have to do this and Mm -hmm. that's those guys that were successful in that environment because i was their technician you know because back then i'd throw drum you know oh shoot we didn't get a sound check i'm throwing drums together there's no scene it's all analog Mm -hmm. you know he's watching his vocals and guitars i'm throwing drums together or watching the outboard right making sure the gate's not cutting stuff out and that there's some verb and delay and the delay's on time so 
you know, those guys are the guys like, you know, uh, Craig Underwood who took me on Moby. You know, I made him feel comfortable. Craig with that we did uh, Orgy with and stuff. I made him feel comfortable. He wasn't the best. He was he was really good here, but nowhere else. Yeah, yeah But yeah. I had his back yeah, yeah, behind yeah. the console. Yeah. Uh, and that's how I kept getting gigs. Yeah. Today, you know, guys are getting gigs with a thumb drive. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the one of the things I watch, I wanted to kind of touch on me phasing into management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lost a lot of interest. When I used to tech 850s, you had to really know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Then line arrays came out. Now, with VDOS, that was kind of fun, uh, you know, strapping cabinets together. And there were those tricks to make VDOS really sing. Yeah. But it started getting to where you started just looking at the computer before you ever did anything. Mm-hmm. And I, that's where I got bored of teching PA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you start, then introduction of digital. And I didn't, you know, the introduction of digital has been a rough road because it doesn't sound very good. Yeah. You know, and nobody's willing to call it out because they like plugins, they like having scenes. It's like, but it doesn't sound good. Yeah. Now with the SD, you know, with the Digico stuff and the new generation of mm-hmm. Avid, now, now digital's starting to sing mm-hmm. using their own stage racks. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that you know, getting to 128k, 96k and above. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the Digico stuff's going to 128. That kind of stuff's really making it sound good. Yeah. So I'm getting, I find myself getting a little more interested. You know, so. Um, I think it's. I think in certain environments, being loud isn't always the the yeah. case. There, it's like, man, I can't tell you how many. You know, if it doesn't sound good, I get I get upset. You know, yeah. I went and saw Depeche Mode, <laughs> three sixty yeah. amphitheater. Saw him up here at the Starplex, and uh, at three sixty, I was just off to the side, and I had a little front fill was my whole show, yeah. and I was just bombed. Yeah, I, 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 I think like I agree and. I don't. I don't go to shows. Like mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I work. I work enough events. And I don't go to shows. Right. And and I'm just you know I'm more introverted, so I don't. I don't want to be around all of that. But <laughs> but I mean, in that with you know the the quality of things, it's like with a record, even still nowadays, if you're gonna put out a record, mm-hmm. yes, you got people producing stuff in their bedrooms and their basements, etc. But at the end of the day, if you're on a major label, that still goes to a real mastering mm-hmm. house like Sterling Sound or something. Right. And that's very much still a, a scientific craft. They've got all the scopes, all the mm. meters. You print out yep. eight 16-track stems. Yep. And they basically <laughs> fix everything that was wrong with whatever you did in the bedroom. Right. And they still put out like a, a clean product. And I yes. think that's the thing now is, you know, nowadays there's, I mean, and in the live world, there's never really been that, like to get to the the clean world. I think the analog days afforded a little bit of, because of the natural saturation, like it softened things up, tape softened things up. Um, and so I think with digital, I don't know that, I don't know that I agree with the, the line of that digital didn't sound as good. I think it was just so clean that, and we were missing a lot of those harmonics, the saturation, the psychoacoustics that, that was just there before. And now you see like, you know, even with pro tools, they've got a plugin called heat and it's moved over to all the other stuff. And like, that's what it does. It's now it's on everyone. Every digital console has it. And it does that kind of, when you hit, start to hit into the preamp, it gives you some of that saturation, the harmonics smooths things out that you're just like, this is great. Well, I mean, I, we can agree to disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Cause my, my thing is, you know, the sample rates were so low. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the time, uh, the, latency issues latency um, and noise are the two things yeah. i'll agree with you on yeah. that were that were definitely a 
a battle, I think, of, of, of the digital part and that becoming cheaper and all the costs and all that right. for sure. Yeah. And then the engineer's dependency on plugins, mm-hmm. um, I think, is another. Is I think another misuse big one. of plugins there, is, is yeah, another yeah, thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, like, yeah. I, I've. There's a time to stack and there's a time where it's like, hey, I don't need anything on it. Right. I think it's just yeah, yeah. the misuse and, like, of that sound and that you're becomes, going for. It becomes a dependency. Yeah. You know, you see guys getting three three USB hubs together to get all their iLocks mm-hmm. in, needing five DSPs. Yeah. The, the ability to do, I don't, I forget how many hundred plugins on yeah. a 24 channel band. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I will say that the number of times that I see guys that have, whether, you know, these hybrid huge racks and these huge riders and they got to right. have the analog plus all the wave stuff and, and right. all this other stuff, the, the percentage of times that I actually hear that and go, wow, I'm impressed, I would say it's less than 5%. It's, it's further down than when you saw a guy with an EX56, some tube techs, and you went, oh, wow. This guy, this guy sounds good. Now, we had just as many guys running around with that stuff. Yeah, you, the same thing, good. that we're just yeah. carrying a bunch of racks to have just a to bunch have of them. racks. Yeah. I mean, I did a, just a couple years ago, uh, I mean, it's probably longer than that now, but I remember doing a show with a guy and he had XL4 console, which everybody out there that's a, one of the top desks still today, analog desks that lots mm-hmm. of people, you two, I'm sure Depeche, anybody who's yeah. anybody had, had this Depeche audio had console. SD5. Oh. <laughs> Before? No, in no, analog no, back days? In the day, Yeah, back I'm saying analog. Yeah, oh, XL4, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's oh, yeah. everybody. Oh, yeah, Metallica, everybody. Uh, but this guy brought in, he had a whole rack and he, you know, this was probably, I don't know, 20 processors. That was just an insert chain for the lead vocal. Right. And... <laughs> He bypassed the XL4 pre for like, you know, some SSL pre or something. And he was like, I'm not going to use that preamp. It's garbage. Right, right. You know, and, it, and it's yeah. just like, interestingly enough, there was, he wasn't looking out and it rained and their pop-up leaked and fried his XL4 during the show. And I, we were doing the show there and we had a Soundcraft GB4, which is a small oh, yeah. analog console. <laughs> I had just cased it up because I was like, we're done. I have the hands hauling stuff off to the truck while right. the headliner's playing. Wow. And then I'm like, oh, shit. And so we open the console and I'm like, here's a console. You're, you're con- it's fried. Like, it's dead. They're still playing yeah. on stage and there's no audio coming out of front of house because it's, everything's dead. And so I'm like... I was like, I'll start moving your stuff over. You just got to give me the word because it's your band ultimately. Right, here. Right, you know, yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. it's not on me. And so he's freaking out. So I start moving stuff over. So I grab the lead vocal channel. I'm like, are you ready? I'm going to yeah. do this like now. And I had like put some, gained it up a little bit already. So he could just push the fader up and he freaked out at me. He was like, no, you can't. How dare you? He pulled the insert and got all these adapter cables together because he refused to not use that signal chain. Wow. And so he probably had another song. 10 minutes of ten, dead air. 10 minutes of dead air. Just to try to get that because he refused to have, you know, and his artist is like on stage. Like he didn't even walk off. Wow. He's just angry, like wow. on stage, you know, just playing his acoustic guitar. But yeah, I mean, just a little, a little side tangent there, but yeah, you know, the fundamentals back to that there, like just make sound happen. Yeah. And as long as it's clean, like those are the fundamentals. And, and I think there is like, you know, I got to have my plug-in racks. I got to have all but, this, you know, good examples of a situation like that. As I was in Europe with Tommy Lee, we lost a leg of power mm-hmm. and it, it happened during the, during the set, he finished the song and I saw what was going on. I was able to repatch some stuff 
And I went to Tommy. I said, "Look, dude, I can't get. I can get you your click in your ears because he he had a lot of tracks." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I told the whole band, "Get you guys click." I got no wedges, no side fills. I got nothing. Front of house PA is on, ready to rock. And he said, "We can still play for the people, right?" I said, "Yeah, yeah. Front of house, totally cool. You know, Craig's out there. He's ready. But I'll give you guys click, and you know, I'll give you some in ears." And boom, they just walked right out. Yeah, finished another hour and played two encores that night. Nothing. That English Acid, uh, that English Acid gig, the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers played a surprise show on Mother's Milk, and the yeah. <laughs> again another leg of power blows. They can come up with some single phase, no monitors, band played. Yeah, you know it's you know some sometimes that kind of stuff comes from top down. However, your your main artist is yeah, yeah and yeah. what he's driving into that tour camp. That, yeah, you like know? they can perform. That. I think you know like traditional performers and stuff i think you probably still see like a justin timberlake would still probably perform but it would be stripped down right acoustic etc or whatever he's got a great he's, band. he's that kind of guy but, that, but at the same yeah. time i i don't know that i would there's plenty of people i would discount and write off don't yeah. get me wrong but i don't <laughs> think like i would discount like a britney spears vegas show because that is her whole show right is tracks yeah is electronics is yeah. sync to time code is automation yeah. like and I don't think anybody is is going to be upset about it. But like people don't come to see like they would never watch Britney Spears play acoustic. Her playing guitar like right. that's not her her gig. Her gig. Yeah, and yeah. it never was. Mm-hmm. You know all these other guys, Chili Pepper stuff like that. Garage bands like they can make that happen. Even in, Pearl in whatever been in situations that like that. Yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think there are you know there's definitely other ways to to strip it down and, and have the fundamentals there. I'm gonna move on a little bit yep. here. Is there anybody that was just a huge asshole you can remember in the industry that held you back, held somebody else back, or just or just made a specific gig like hell. Just 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 out of sake to just be one. Uh, <laughs> you know, I must I must I must suppress that because there uh, there's you a guy, can change the name. No, no, I, I mean I'll call him out. Herman. Okay. Um, he did Casey and the Sunshine Band. Okay. He he I he made me a better tech through driving me into the ground. Okay. Um, the, you know, and I had a chance, I didn't get to tech the gig for him. We did him at HEB Center down in Austin and he ripped my guys apart. Still this day, ripping monitor (laughs) guys apart. Yeah. You know, cause the guy can actually hear if you give him wedges and your horns out of phase, he can hear it. He's that good. Yeah. Um, and you know, and he's just a, he's an Australian and he's, he is a superb tech that works for a lot of bands, and he kind of just expects stuff to be a certain way, yeah. and he will drive you into the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the flip side of that, if you can handle them, you know, I used to fill in for, you know, I, this won't mean anything to anybody anymore, but I used to fill in Casey and the Sunshine Band for him. Yeah, yeah. Casey was 28 mixes, you know, always on the fly, no sound check, mm-hmm. and he was handing that gig to me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I look back and go, man, I don't know if I'd do that today. Yeah. Uh, you know, he handed me Devo uh, yeah. when they were doing their big reunion stuff. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, he was he was just a jerk. Just, um, just <laughs> <laughs> until you got to know him, you did a few gigs yeah, with him. Yeah, you remember yeah. your name? All of a sudden, you're all right. A lot of a lot of the jerks were always the you know uh, the metalhead kind of guys. Yeah. Um, they're either sweethearts or total jerks. Like Rick Deasing mixed just everybody metal. Super sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, Eddie, uh, production manager guy, still to this day, comes through with bands. 
he just makes everything as hard as possible. He just assumes that you're going to know everything, doesn't advance his shows very well, and then just grinds yeah. you day off. Yeah, I think that's hard. There's some people that are rough around the edges, yeah. but really, you know, not just good intent, but, you know, good actions and things of that sort. You know, they yeah. just maybe don't have all the skills there, but yep. they want to. And You've then watched I think, me change a little bit yeah, on that and then I think, the And then I yeah. think there's the guys that are... That are just you know in any walk of life they just want to watch just the world make it burn. Hard. They just want to watch the world hard. burn, and you know something yeah. happened to them at some point, and it's just an ego. And I I will say though is like obviously everyone hates the person that like talks like they know what they're talking about and, and they doesn't. don't. What's I think what's really really sad, and we both know a couple people like mm. this, and and probably more is is the people that are actually really really smart. <laughs> and maybe talking out of their ass about something else. Right, but, right. But it's like they're really, really smart and yep. they have a whole lot of potential. Yep. But the ego and the yeah. attitude just. And I don't know, know where just, that comes from. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I, good, I, one of my best friends is just like that. I think we can move on. We had some stuff about struggles in the industry. I think we've kind of gone over some of that. Is there yep. anything that you think is a universal struggle in the industry while you're making it? And did that change from, you know, from the 80s, 90s to now? Or. Well. The the one of the, the the newer struggle is the you know uh, I'm trying to think of a you know guys and girls coming out of these schools yeah um you know thinking you know the the sure ad remember the sure ad where it's the guy he's he, he's lit by the console lights mm-hmm. and it's like it's your moment yeah 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 and, yeah and I think that's kind of what people think our our business is because so many people are coming in and trying it for a day and leaving. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you just went to f- two years or four years of school. $40,000. Yeah. yeah. And you've just came in and realized you got to pack a truck. Yeah. 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 You know, that's why I like, you know, even though me and Matt Quick aren't the greatest buddies. Shout out to Matt Quick. Yeah. A little love, shout out to I love Matt Quick. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, we <laughs> yeah. We, we've, yeah. we've had our ups and downs. Yeah. 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 But he actually has a truck pack class. Yeah. You know, he does. He's, he's, He's actually pushing his industry forward mm-hmm. to produce better students to come to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not just us. I mean, us yeah. as companies in this in this business. Uh, and he's trying new things. He is driving a new curriculum. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Whether me and him get into our tips about wireless frequencies yeah, and yeah, consoles yeah. and whatnot, we've, 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 we've had our ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He's gotta be, you know, he's gotta be recognized for yeah, pushing yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Because these kids are coming in thinking, Oh yeah, here I am on this you know, they know everything. Mm-hmm. More than I know. I mean, yeah, me yeah. and you've talked about this. Yeah. Just you know more you know, I'll forget why there's three legs and an XLR cable. I don't need to know. When one's not working, you fix it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's right. a spare. It's a spare. There's one spare. <laughs> but you know, uh that's always my big joke. And uh these guys are these these students are coming out and they're just knowledgeable as all get yeah. out and but they don't have that real life experience and don't think they need it yeah 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 and they're coming in and I, I just feel bad it's like can't get quite an apprentice program going with any anybody either we can't afford to hire them just to hire them to show them what the life is like mm-hmm. or they don't want to spend the time because they're too busy at school having a job i mean it's not easy being a it wasn't easy being a student when i was a student it's yeah. getting even harder now yeah um you know, on one aspect, it seems like there's more money and people have it easier. On other aspects, it seems like some students are having to struggle even harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't have that extra time to just come hang over, hang out at my shop and yeah, see yeah, what yeah. it's really about. Yeah. Or I, they only want to come to the show and see mm-hmm. the finished product. And yeah. It's like, I think it's hard because, you know, coming up in a range where it's like, I can learn something so quick. And I think there are a lot of areas where 
you know, every generation is like, you know, yep. learn stuff faster. You learned, yeah, you learned computers faster than, you know, yeah, yeah. like you said, like mm-hmm. your dad did. But then at the same time, there's some of the hard skills. I think mm-hmm. we live in a world, you know, we, people talk a lot about hard skills and soft skills, you know, right. and there are some soft skills that are becoming like more digestible and quicker to do, but some of the hard stuff, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't get six pack abs, no matter what you do overnight, (laughs) you got to do the work. And, you know, I think there's a, there's still a lot of that stuff in, in, you know, in the entertainment industries, you may come in, you may know, I don't think that a lot of them know a lot of the fundamentals of, you know, the electronics and the equations and all that stuff. But, you know, even if they do know that, they know the consoles, they know how to turn it on. They know the keyboard shortcuts, all that stuff. But it's like, (laughs) but what are you using the keyboard shortcuts for? How do you get to there? How do you make a finished project? You know, because at these schools, it's like you said, like there was the guy mixing back in the day and the guy making sure it all worked. Right. That's how the schools work. You know, there's always like something there supporting them. And so Mm -hmm. when they come out, they're like, why do I need to learn how to, you know, uh, I, I was talking to someone the other day, a, a millennial, and they were saying uh, millennials are more entrepreneurs than any other generation. And that's why they don't want to work for people and stay. And I was like, well, if they were more, if that was true, millennials would own more businesses than every other generation. But in order to own a business and to keep it around, that's not a startup, which I have a huge tiff with about <laughs> startups, but is you got to have that perseverance in order mm-hmm. to be around tomorrow. I mean, there's so much stuff, like you said, a leg of power falls out or, you know, you got to take out a loan to make payroll. Like yeah. there's so much that people don't know about the side of running the actual business or being the sound company. Even if you don't have the financial part of like, we got to get this show, we got to get this gear to a show. Right. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it'd be great if we had all the greatest consoles, whatever. But at the end of the day, like I told you a story about the guy where, no vocal on stage, like the whole band's down, like just get the basics up, you know, like, and, and yeah, there's, I I think the only way to do that is, 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 is the experience. Like they're not going to know, right. You do have to fail. You have to know. But Mm -hmm. what I used to do with the guys at the, when I was running the Lubbock shop was I'd say, Hey, you can come in after shop hours Mm -hmm. and I would do drills for them. And I'd say, and I would just go to the front work on other stuff. And they'd say, what are you doing? I'd say like, there's gear in here. Build me a PA. You right. have mm-hmm. 45 minutes. And right. they'd just be like, uh, what? And they'd always like not make it there. But then, you know, after a couple of times, they'd start to get in. It was like, I I thought it was very valid to put that pressure on. Because that's the thing you can't simulate. Yeah. In a classroom or even at the shop, there's mm-hmm. not that pressure of somebody on stage or that the show's got to start. Cameras are rolling. Broadcast right. trucks are rolling. Like that pressure and working under it, I feel like is so key. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's missed in a lot of training programs wherever whether it's at school or on the on the job right and then you know like we also have the problem especially at our dallas shop where we're so busy that it's hard to find a moment like i've got a couple superstars in the making right now yeah and you know i just want to walk out and and spend that minute you know and just say you know hey (laughs) yeah what what are you working on today what are you doing you know what happened at the show this weekend what were you working on what are you working on this week yeah yeah yeah. and just spend some time with them and it's so hard you know it's you know anthony came up under me clint all these really good guys that we have and but i'm just not getting that connection you know i've I've been so management and so sales and so uh, Mm -hmm. that i miss that connect um, and I, that connect is important because I got to pass those skills on. Yeah. Like you said, that, that you put those kids under that pressure, 
to do that PA in 45 minutes, you see the weak points. Mm-hmm. Now you've got something to talk about. Yeah. That is going to make them better. Yeah, but it's not, I don't, I don't think that in the typical, what we normally see of master apprentice, which I think a lot of times is more like master and slave <laughs> in a lot of ways. And especially because the ego, a, of, a lot of times they don't business, want yeah. them to be better than them. And, and that's sad. And, and that is very yeah. sad because to me, if somebody becomes better than me, I can become better. I can learn from them. Yep. And, and now you're, you're limitless in terms of that. There's not a ceiling, but but I think it's sad when a lot of times it's like, hey, I'm going to give you your shot. And then you totally messed it up. But it's like, I, it's not really, you know, fair. And, you know, some people are in the, the it's like, well, you should have done that on your own time. With right. what console? With, with what, where, right. where should you have done all that to, you know, fall on your face and do that? And not everybody is, you know, I think that's a case of, you know. Equal and, opportunity. It does not equal equal opportunity for everyone. Right. Like that looks different to different people. And, you know, one of the struggles in our business today is it used to be when our gear got a little old or wasn't meeting all the new riders, it went into the nightclubs. Mm-hmm. And then in the nightclubs, you put your young staff in there where they could make a mistake. Yeah, yeah, have yeah. a monitor squeal on a guy mm-hmm. and it not be a showstopper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those opportunities are going away. Mm-hmm. Um, the systems are becoming so... You know, computerized. You know, you you give a guy these wedges will not feedback no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. This PA will not take off on you no matter what you do. Yeah, yeah. Here, just sit there. Yeah. And then these club guys aren't getting that. They might get some mix experience, but they're not having to put just you know like me back in those days in Long Beach. Man, we're making that PM one thousand, some JBL forty five sixties, and mm-hmm. God knows what horns work. Yeah, and we made them work every day. Yeah, um, Ed's shop, you know, knowing mm-hmm. about all the connections and putting value to that. Um, so we don't have that connection to that other side because the gear has gotten so cheap. Mm-hmm. You can just go buy an X thirty two. You can go buy some RCF speakers and some RCF wedges, and boom, you've got a little thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you can do that all at Guitar Center now. Mm-hmm. You know, people are walking, you know, reps are walking into these clubs and getting that gear sorted out for them mm-hmm. um, and no longer having that dependency on your sound company. Some, yeah. some of the older school guys still want to make that lease deal or make that yeah, yeah, purchase yeah. through a sound company so they yeah. have the support. But it's just not being what it used to be. Yeah. And that's a change that's happened. Yeah. That we've also lost that that spot you're talking about. Where did you get that chance to fall on your face? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was down at the stupid little club over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Where that one guy was playing on the corner yeah. with five people. I think, you know, in any industry, though, it's like, obviously, the event industry in general, but specifically with sound reinforcement, video reinforcement, lighting, all this other stuff, you know, it's so new, really, when you think about it. Like, yeah. But the only way for it to stay around, the people that are going to stay around, are the people that adapt, evolve, and figure out how to scale. Like, that's how there's conglomerates, you know, mm-hmm. in any field, you know. In the medical industry, you know, even 200 years ago, it was medicine people, you know, mm-hmm. medicine man, medicine woman right. of the town. Like, yeah. it was, you know, and they were trying, but it wasn't like, oh, you know, obviously it's still a long time to go to school, but you can become a nurse in, you know, what, four years, two years? Four. And at least, four to be a nurse, and at yeah. least work in the hospital, though. Like, yeah. And do something, take people's blood pressure. Like, right. and so I do think it's a thing that, you know, like, you know, Claire can take somebody 90 days, put them out on the road as a PA tech. Right. They may not be the mess mix engineer, but oh, yeah. go no, out there and learn the rest. Yeah. And it's like, I think that's a key to scaling though, is how do you find that, uh, how do you find that system mm-hmm. to, you know, like you said, like if you want to scale, and it's like you said, you're a lot of times you're so busy, you're just trying to stay afloat. Right. But it's like in the scale of looking forward, it's like, where's the, uh, you know, where's the person, the, the look ahead scout that's doing that and, and doing all that and stuff. It, 
this, you know, that's where kind of Anthony and Clint and Cody, all these guys, you know, Khalid coming in, Toby, mm-hmm. even pulling all that talent that we've cultivated still mm-hmm. finds that it gets so sucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that at, at some point, <laughs> you would yeah. think. And, yeah. you know, I talk to other companies in town. They're, they're feeling the same issue. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't have the answer other yeah. than we keep trying throw throw more eggs against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and nobody, you know, it's easy when you're Claire because everybody wants to go work at Claire. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to go work at Rad or the Eight Day or mm-hmm. you know Morris Leasing or yeah. these you know these companies. But when you look at companies like Miller and companies like On Stage locally in LD. Are the people that are employing more people and keeping yeah. them in year-round salaries and year-round gig opportunities? Yes. Yeah. Um, but that that local attraction, that young guy, yeah, of course, I yeah. want to, everybody wants to go work at Rad. Who doesn't want to yeah. look at this tour roster of all this cool stuff? Yeah. I, so I think, it, I, I think it's that's a challenge. A, that's a balance of you know, especially with the millennials. Of it's still the cool thing. Everybody wants to be where stuff is cool or looks like where they're at. So it's like you have this new thing where it's like. You have a PR issue that you didn't know you had right. to attract talent. And then also, mm-hmm. you know, some of the broadening out in different gigs. And so it's like, now it's like, you're new in the world of trying to figure out how do I make this look attractive? And then also to yep. the older guys that are like, hey, I want to get off the road. But, you know, you got a lot of guys that want to get off the road, first right. of all, that, you know, like, yeah, let me get in a salary job. But they've never been in the contract world and they also don't want to teach. Like, just because yeah. you know how to run a console doesn't mean you know doesn't mean you have any social skills right doesn't mean you have any leadership <laughs> skills and right. it doesn't mean that they want to and i think they get misplaced a lot because yes. they are the right the veteran and and etc and uh, trying to find that right seat for the right person yeah. is, a, is a constant yeah. juggle and so i think there there you come in with these guys who like yeah i know how to run the console i know how to do all this but i don't know how to scale it i don't know how to deploy it right so it's like you almost have to have a person that comes in and says how do i how do I take an 18-year-old kid off the street, 20-year-old kid, right. in what Chris does, it's great, and all these other people, and make it into a curriculum or of some sort to train? And I think that's what, like, great companies, not even just, like, Facebook, but, I mean, you look at, like, a Target. You know, you right. go into a Target, you get onboarded for three days, yep. and then you're running a, a register. You right. know? And that's some complicated, you know, we take it for granted now, but that's complicated <laughs> technology, yeah, yeah. you know? Like, mm-hmm. they just made it idiot-proof, really. Right. But, I mean, like, think about the revenue in even just an hour that happens. Like, you know, people think about, like, oh, we do, it's so complicated. But they made it so simple that, yep. you know, they can sell $10,000 in an hour, one person, Right, checking people out scan, and it took them three yeah. days to bring them on. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think that's a key to scaling, but anyways, move on from that yep. a little bit. Um, how has the industry affected like other things you wanted to do in life and like your personal relationships? It, it's, you know, it's difficult because, you know, we've chosen an industry where we are supporting the party and the party is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. And it's also not necessarily down the street. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're with a band that's in 30 different cities in 32 days. Yeah. When you're a uh, production house, it's in Dallas on Friday, Fort Worth on Saturday, Austin on Sunday, and back in Austin on Wednesday for Blues on the Green. Yeah. Um, you've got... So you, you've got this, not only this crazy schedule where we're, work, we're working more hours in those three days than most people work in a week. Yeah, it's true. So you've got... You know, and I'm, you're you're trying to bring on a significant other, mm-hmm. and 
man, that, that could be tough if they're not in the same walk of life. You know, yeah. my wife is Monday through Friday in the medical field. Mm-hmm. And, hey, you know what? I'm going to be up in, in Fort Worth Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, shoot. You know, what I forgot today, Wednesday, is Blues on the Green. Mm-hmm. Bob Schneider's playing down there. Loved it. You know, I need to check in. That's a, yeah, yeah. That is a flagship gig for me. And yeah. I, here I am, forgot all about it. It's yeah. terrible. Ah. But, um... That that it really hits you with the significant others. You start to also have hard times keeping those friendships fresh because yeah. you know your college friends, your school friends, your whatever friends have gone into that nine to five Monday through Friday, and here you are yeah. Thursday through Sunday saying, "Hey, Monday at noon, you available for lunch?" Like, man, I'm at work, yeah. you know, and you yeah. start to lose touch mm-hmm. with that. Um, you start to have that significant other problem where it's like if they're not on that flex schedule like you are, mm-hmm. it, it can hurt you there. Um, bonuses, man, when I go to the lake, there ain't nobody there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you know me, I work seven days a week. Yeah. Um, so I, it does hurt those relationships, you know. my yeah. I couldn't make Mother's Day this year. My mom, she's so still When did you start to, like, really, I feel like because a lot of times, like you said, you get wrapped up in it at the beginning. Yeah. When did you start to notice, like, hey, I lost some friends, I lost some girls, haven't seen my mom in a while. Like, and how do you how do you, you rectify that and, and start to balance that? It, it, well, it's one thing when you're in your 20s. You know, it really is. It's like, hey, your career's taken off. This is what you do in your 20s. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's changed in any generation. Yeah, yeah. You know, and in your 30s, you're starting to rely on that. In my case, I had a little bump in my 30s. Yeah. And started taking back off mid-30s. So, you know, I, I, I kind of realized, it, you know, around 30, 31, that I was missing some opportunities. And, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, but see, the you know, significant, I want to use significant others, I don't want to isolate anybody, is you, at first it's cool, you know, the one girl that got away, so to speak, mm-hmm. she would fly out and meet me in places and ride a day on the tour yeah, bus yeah. and whatnot, and that, it was a jet-setting 29-year-old, yeah. how you doing, we're yeah, on fire right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Now with my wife now, it's like, she's not really interested in hopping on a plane just to watch me work. Now mm-hmm. she'll come, she's come out, she comes out on all the tours. You know, but nowadays I'm the production manager, so I'm not cracking yeah, it's, that it's truck. A, it's a different thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so it, it, I started realizing 31, 32 that my friends were, you know, I was having colleagues, not friends. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody I was hanging with is friends from work, you yeah. know, and those friends from college and those friends from high school were taking a back seat because they're out doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And their own thing wasn't lining up with my thing. We yeah, get together yeah. once in a while, but even those got further and further apart yeah you know so it it, it, it definitely when you you got to realize that kind of that kind of input because mm-hmm. even today with as big as like miller's gotten it's still hard to guarantee that day off for that guy we're getting mm-hmm. better at it yeah but here's a 25 year old company with a lot of veteran staff still having that struggle mm-hmm. of making sure a guy can get you know biggie and uh shout out to you know biggie and josh yeah uh, they're going to europe to see the big uh or off to england what's that big okay. festival over fourth of july with metallica and everybody oh, okay yeah they finally just said screw y'all we've never been out of the country and we're going to see that's cool you know and yeah. you got to support those guys yeah yeah you know i think and, there's there's, there's that's a... gonna hurt fourth of july yeah you know yeah so it, with your with yourself though, like, did you feel like there was a point where you started saying no, like internally, like I gotta, I gotta be there for my girl or for my mom. Like I'm not going to take as I've gotten that older, gig. Yeah. As I've gotten older. Um, it's still hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm such a type A personality. I come out of LA where it was very competitive. And if you didn't take the gig, you weren't, you may didn't not get the, get the next yeah. call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, true. 
I've never, you know, it's funny, you know, uh, I saw Dave Rad a few months ago and I, we were talking about the old days. I'm like, man, I always felt like if I didn't take every call you gave me out, you wouldn't, you know, because back in the day, he'd call us all directly mm-hmm. um, before he had a big staff. And he's like, man, I can't believe you thought that way. I, you were always on the top of the call list, whether you took the gig or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just never realized that. And that, you know, I just, my ego doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about the work I've gotten, I've completed, mm-hmm. and what I got coming up. Yeah, for sure. So that's an ego problem I have. You know, it drives me to probably work too much and, yeah. and, and become, you know, put even my wife secondary. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm getting a little taste of it because she's doing some PRN work. Mm-hmm. And she's like, screw it. I didn't know what you're doing. So I took Saturday, Sunday. And I'm like, but I, we're going to go on the boat. I was yeah. taking a weekend off. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And she's like, uh huh. See? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She fights yeah. back. Yeah. But it's uh, to get that balance is tough. Mm-hmm. And it just comes down to, you know, you want the full-time gig at the company. Well, we're this busy right now. Mm-hmm. So now what I do, you know, we've evolved. So, you know, July is slow. After 4th of July, I'm going to Alaska with the wife for a week. Yeah. You know, went to Australia with my mom back in February or January and saw the Australian okay. Open. So I start making these other plans. Mm-hmm. You know, in my life, dates don't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a rule I have. So... Mom didn't like the the date change on Mother's Day though. I didn't, she's getting older. She's getting a little grumpier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she whipped me into shape on that yeah. one. Uh, but you know, like my birthday was the eleventh, and you know we didn't celebrate till the twentieth. And mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, you know, you just have to be flexible mm-hmm. uh, because that's just what our work is. Look yeah. at springtime. I mean, here in Texas, that springtime is everything, and then fall is everything. Yeah, yeah, and then. Dead point in the summer, dead point in the winter. Mm-hmm. So I try to focus on those times to really say, no, look, I'm taking a week off. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And make those plans and stick to them. Okay, cool. Um, so we talked about this a little bit, too, is um, what do you think about elaborate a little bit? I know you have some personal history of this. The entertainment industry and its relationship with excess drugs, alcohol, that can obviously also lead into sex, not sleeping, not eating, like all of those things that you don't think about when you're 20, but they catch up to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and, uh, you know, we've we've seen some recent loss. It's been terrible. Um, And and the business is no stranger to loss. I mean, Mm -hmm. the past past few years especially. And, you know, I remember when uh, Kurt Cobain died, you know, Mm -hmm. Unless you've really, you know, if you take, you know, you'll see a lot of shout outs on Facebook with my friends going, man, if you need help, you've got to ask. Mm -hmm. You don't realize how isolated you are on the road. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, having my time as a tour manager with several different artists, uh, you know, you're stuck at the hotel and, you know, you're stuck away from your friends and your family. Sometimes you're in such a weird time zone, you can't even call and talk to Mm -hmm. anybody. Yeah. Uh, And you're just talking to people who want nothing but something from you, Mm -hmm. you know, and you got some guy like me tour managing you, getting you point A to point B. Um, and you got these people fooling you. I mean, man, when I when I worked with STP and I worked with Tommy and these rock guys, you and even back, you just see people blowing so much smoke up their ass all the time. Yeah, you're living in this weird world, so I can see how these band guys. You know, first of all, some you know uh, some drugs and alcohol can come out of boredom. And a way to kill the board, a way to keep the party going all night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know anybody. I don't care who you are. Take enough dr- of any drug, you're going to become addicted. It's why we have the opiate problem now, mm-hmm. because we're prescribing these gnarly drugs to just anybody yeah. for any length of time. So now you're becoming an addict, even though you weren't an addict. You yeah. had no drug seeking behavior, but we made you that way. So you got these guys that have nothing else but time to kill or yeah. whatever, and it just becomes that escape from that little bit of reality. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of pressure on those guys coming up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the isolation sets in, you know. Mm-hmm. They start not wanting those people that want to blow smoke up their ass, but they've lost those friends because they've been touring and now they're mm-hmm. rock stars and people get real fake around them and just want to be there because they're of who they are. Yeah. You know, even... You know, uh, I've had some opportunities to, you know, being sober now, going to some AA meetings that uh, were behind closed doors and locked gates and, you know, people. Was that that hard for you to, like, make the choice and, like, the realization of, like, hey, I need help? Like, what was that like? Well, I had a friend of mine, Andy, you you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, So a little shout out to my boy, Andy W., Mm -hmm. um, who works for us now because he came to Texas here. But it's really good that. You know, as much as something like Alcoholics Anonymous says anonymous, and that's what we're supposed to be, Yeah, that a certain amount of people know. Because I can't tell you how many people have said, hey, man, you, you kick drugs and alcohol. I got a, My brother-in-law is trying to reach out and do something, and I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice to be open enough that people can come to you. Um, and that's what Andy was for me. Um, I knew he was sober. I knew he'd be successful. He's been sober 31 years now. Um, and he took the long road with me. You know, I, I was too stupid when I got sober. I didn't know I could go into some rehab or anything. So I'm trying to swing a hammer, fix these properties I'm involved in mm. and all this stuff. And the problem with drugs is like, man, I get 20 and want to go back out. I get a job and get a check and I want to go celebrate. Yeah. It, it really messes with your head. So... But what inevitably happens is you start using the drugs, you become isolated. And I don't care if you're a rock star where everybody wants to hang with you or the technician or the dudes we see or flying sides. Or yeah, yeah. business analyst, whoever. Yeah. The story is always the same. They become isolated. Yeah. And that isolation, I think a lot of times is what kills. And when you're so isolated, you know, the the you know, the drugs and the alcohol are gonna tell you you know, it, it takes over. And it's going to yeah. tell you, you don't need help. You don't need this. Those yeah, people, yeah. It, it's going to tell you whatever it needs to hear for you to stay, get, you know, get into the next drug. It's, yeah. it, it's amazing now that I can look back at those behaviors that I've had that so many people that I've, that I know that have also kicked drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol. We all talk about that isolation and that voice in our head, you yeah, know, yeah. that it's like, you know, we call it play the tape through. Yeah. So it sounds really good to get, you know, a bottle of vodka and, and some drugs and hit the hotel and whatever, you know, yeah. get some people over. And you know what happens in four days, you're alone. You know, you never invited the people because you don't want to share none of the drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. You're in some hotel, yeah. like across the Eagle there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you, you, you never really have to come out of that room and you're hung over and you're broke and nobody yeah. wants to talk to you and you've. It's just horrible, and you know you put the pressure on. You know I, I don't want to. I don't want to level any actor or rock star to any special importance because the disease hits everybody. Yeah, and it, I don't care if you're a mother of four that got hooked on Vicodin, or you know uh, Chris Cornell with the heroin. You mm-hmm. know it, it. It's you're going to go to the same place. Yeah, and it's harder I think for the rock star to reach out. In some ways, uh, because there's so many fake people around them. Yeah. Um, you know, I've known plenty. And, you know, people people are going to tell them, you know, they're going to blow more smoke up their ass. You know, the mother yeah. of three talking about being hooked on Vicodin and having to go to a local detox is probably going to get a more real story than Chris Cornell heading to Hazleton for a million dollars a day, you know, where they're going to coddle them. And, you know, again, there you are with a bunch of bullshit around you, mm-hmm. you know, uh some of the guys that I've gotten to know that have been on the higher tier like going down to, you know, the local uh, 
they ring the bell outside of stores to collect money. Um, uh, Salvation, Salvation Army. Army. So Salvation Army does, you know, uh, you know, they, they have a religious affiliate. However, they take anybody, any walk mm-hmm. of life, no matter where you are, they'll get you a bed. They'll get you, they'll, they'll help you get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. They'll help you get a job. Yeah. Uh, they're out there. They're doing the dirty work. Yeah. You know, and for no money, you know, off those, off those quarters yeah, you're throwing yeah, yeah. out as you walk into Target. Yeah. Um, you know, people find it a little more real there. There's places like in Corpus Charlie's place. My dad got sober at a place uh, in in Costa Mesa. I mean, if, it was just a house, dirt all around it, little house. Dudes were stacked five high in bunk beds, detoxing off alcohol. And those are some of the most real places because you're just you're just at the bottom. You're broke. Yeah. You know, there's there is no second chances when you're at some of these spots. Yeah. Um, and it, it's hard because music cares and some, you know, because I've done some benefit work from music mm-hmm. cares and some other organizations, Ham and down in Austin. All these places are, are trying to help, but, you know, it's still, you know, cunning and baffling. Yeah. Know? How do you, how do you take it from, you know, being a reactive issue, you know, where it's like somebody dies or gets hurt or to being proactive, like, you know, it's like you said, like, Reach out. You yeah, know? it's more proactive now. The problem with drugs and alcohol is it's hard to quit it if you're not at your bottom saying, I want to quit. Yeah. I have a desire to quit drugs and alcohol. Um, and it's not until you really get there. Because, like, you know, I, I would get three months sober, go back out, get four months, go back out, nine months, lost a nice job. Um, and each time it was like, hey, I just got to get my life back together. I, this stuff just took me sideways for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get my, you know, that's that, that's that voice. No, man, you just, you just need to get a couple paychecks, pay a few bills, get some people off your back and everything's going to be fine. And it gets that way. You, you take the drugs and alcohol out, your life will get better. Yeah. One way or another, it will. And it's what you do in that time period. You know, that's why things like, you know, going to meetings or finding that support group, you know, trying Mm -hmm. not to be centered into how I run it. But it, it's just important to get with it. You know, the therapeutic value of one addict or alcoholic working with another is bar none and yeah. better than any rehab if you're ready. Yeah. And that's that's the biggest problem with the drugs is trying to get to where you're ready. Yeah. Do you think that the, do you think that your industry and the employers have a responsibility to actively check in or reach out to some of these guys that, you know, whether, I mean, with the artists, I would think especially because they're your, they're your moneymaker at the end of the day, right? Right, and people have tried everything. Sober Companions, uh, that's what uh, my buddy Richard Cole was doing for a long time after he left Crazy Town was he was a sober companion for Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Um, just being there, being that being that stone with these guys, um, to just have somebody around that's not blowing that smoke, that is, hey, I need to get to a meeting, or hey, I just need to get out of here and clear my head. You know, somebody, I don't want to say counselor, but just somebody, mm-hmm. you can say, hey, and that person has that authority to say, hey, you know what? Hey, somebody like Robert Downey, you know, he's he's done for the next hour and a half. We, we got we got to clear our heads and everybody mm-hmm. can screw yourselves. Yeah. Because, you know, think somebody as successful of an actor as he is after he cleaned his act up. Mm-hmm. You know, what pressure is that guy under? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What pressure is these rock stars under playing the, I don't care if it's 1,000 or 10,000 people every night. Yeah. You know, hey, the, the pressure is great. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Sober Companions have been very successful. Uh, but it's hard. You get out there on that bus out in the middle of nowhere. You get to where 
you know, the, the party, everybody's inviting you to here and there, and, you know, you start getting bored again, mm-hmm. and that starts yeah. sounding good. That's where that sober companion making sure you got something to do, or, hey, mm-hmm. you know what, now we're into eating healthy and hitting the gym after the show. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot of different ways where yeah. people are trying to change that behavior and direct that behavior. And I've also seen it where a tour manager comes in, clears all the alcohol backstage, and mm-hmm. they're fighting to keep that guy from finding that drink. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're not letting anybody they don't know. They're keeping a clean yeah, backstage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's uh, they're they're trying. They're trying. A yeah. lot of people are putting in a lot of good effort. Yeah. Um, but it's is that something you've seen with your guys since you've taken over and managing a lot of? I mean, there's a lot of guys that come in and out of you know. A, a contract company, right? Is that like something you've seen with guys that stick around, or, or you know, like it's it's hard. I mean, you know, you've been around. You've yeah. seen. You've seen. There's people that you know. I mean, we're seeing a new new stage of marijuana. You know, where it's becoming legal everywhere, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's still a drug. Mm-hmm. Um, I support the le- You know, here's my shout out. I support it being legal. Yeah. Um, just that because we have to take it head on. You yeah. know, I think alcohol is far worse than marijuana ever was. Yeah. But um, but that way we can control, regulate, and tax. Mm-hmm. And that tax money can go to funding those health programs. Yeah. I mean, you, everything's so expensive. You don't have insurance. Half the places that say rehab mm-hmm. aren't going to take you. Yeah. You know, so you're stuck with the Salvation Armies and the Charlie's places and the, the you know, self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, self, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, funded clinics. Yeah, yeah. To take those people without any money. Um, I think I got sidetracked there. But, yeah, I mean, it, it seems that our business is more tolerant than it should be mm-hmm. of drug use. And, you know, really drug use. Because, yeah. I mean, alcohol, you know, eventually you get drunk, but a lot of drugs you can function uh, to a better part. But, you know, it's going to impair judgment sooner or later. Yeah, for sure. You know. Um, yeah, so that kind of wraps up that whole thing. We talked about work-life balance, yep. suicide and entertainment. We talked about that, how that's a thing, um, and, and mental health. So from that and with all these things that kind of happen and that are, you're, you're almost at more risk than other, than if you were in another career with all this stuff. Yeah, because I don't see of, the guy at DMV having an artist go, hey man, can you hook me up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. or a stagehand going, hey, look what I got. You want to do something real quick? Yeah. You know, because there is a lot of that in our business. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say that, you know, um, they're, yeah, it's rampant. I, I don't think I've been on a job site where I could say everybody was sober at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, you're not getting, but I don't know, this day and age with pills, you know, and the yeah. way they're prescribing pills, that, that lady working the DMV counter, that guy, mm-hmm. could very well have a Vicodin habit we don't know about yeah, or an yeah, Oxycontin yeah. habit yeah. we don't know about. And, and, it's it's hard because you're also seeing, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, you worked in rock and roll all your life. And, yeah, of course, now you had your bout with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. But then you see this lady who's done nothing but raise five kids, have a job, yeah. and do right by her family is all of a sudden addicted to Oxycontin because she got a back injury. Yeah. And it's just like, man, that's that that's that wasn't by choice. You know, yeah. I can't I can tell you every time I've done drugs, that was by choice. Yeah. You know, I wanted to do. Yeah, that I think drug. that's I really fair, that I think especially with the. With the opioid, I yeah. think part of it for sure, that's that's definitely an issue. And I think the isolation, like you said, mm-hmm. goes, I think there's not like a place of like, you know, with kids, you know, you think about like, uh, was it D.A.R.E.? D.A.R.E. Mm-hmm. was a drugs yep. and alcohol thing, right? Yeah. Um, I think with all of that. Mad. There's, there's mad, plenty of them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, all of those programs, it's like with the kids, 
when they're in grade school, it works out pretty well. Right. Because they build this hype around it and it's cool and you want to be part of the drug free club. Right. But then it's like, you know, once these kids get into middle school and all mm-hmm. these other things, it's like, it's black and white. It's like, I'm the bad kid that tried drugs right. or I'm the good kid that didn't. <laughs> right. But there's no in between to like, you know, I, I feel like say that, you know, people use drugs because they feel good or they make them feel some right. sort of way. Mm-hmm. They escape, they're a coping mechanism. Right. Like, I think just the, you know, the sustainability of anything is like what you have to look at is like, uh, you know, you can, you can drink one time your sorrows away right. and yeah, you know, yeah. it's not going to kill you, right. but it's how you get into that. If I say, Hey, I'm having a bad day and I come talk to you, no matter how many times I do that, that's not going to put me in the hospital. Right. I'm not going to lose a job because right. of it. Like, I think that's the slippery and, slope. And on it's all hard that. because let's not discount that there are people who can go out and have a few cocktails yeah. or, or tie one on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wake up the next day and it's over. Yeah, it's you know? true. And, and I don't ever want to discount, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, like I was at the hotel with a couple of the guys last night. Or not the hotel, but the Airbnb with a couple of the guys. They bought a six pack. I laughed because they had two beers, fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. In my Does that world, stuff ever tempt you anymore? Nah, no, it's not who I am anymore. Yeah, um, I'm not going to say I don't need to maintain my sobriety and my spiritual fitness and the yeah. things that go into you know because you see some of the crud I deal with. Yeah, you know, I, that's why I like to rely. You know, I'm a big. You know, I go to my meetings. I do my stuff. I mm-hmm. I get spiritual. I get down to earth. Yeah, yeah. And it gets harder as I get more successful to find that time. Wife, job, mm-hmm. running up here three, four days a week, yada, yeah. yada, yada. It goes on and on. Yeah. And it's real easy for that to take a back seat. And that's yeah. something I fight today in my life is not allowing that recovery to take that back seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it's, man, it's, you know, I had to, taking the bad side of stuff, I had to let a guy go who was 55 years old because he's, you know, it, we got rid of a portion of the company where it was like, hey, this isn't really working out. We don't want to continue this. And I had to let a really good guy go. And he's 50, you know, actually, I think he's 60. Mm-hmm. He's not looking at a lot of places hiring. Yeah. And it fell to me to have to give him the bad news that we closed that side of the business. Yeah. And that hurt me more than a lot of the other stuff I have to deal with on day. Yeah, but, yeah, you yeah. Know, that, that, that night, I hit a meeting, you know. Yeah. I was on with my sponsor and I'm with my wife, calling yeah, yeah. my buddy Andy and letting people know. You know, hey, that's why I got that routine in because I knew how I was feeling. I knew how dangerous that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immediately tattletale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to call somebody. Yeah, Let you somebody got to reach know. out. Let yeah, them know. This is how I'm know. feeling and this is what I'm doing about it. Yeah. And, you know, just somebody, you know, they, that take that ear for a minute. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And that's even in sobriety with yeah. all these tools I have. Yeah. But man, that, that that messed me up. Yeah. I think that's I think that's super important. Like what you said is like when you know how to it takes a certain amount of like self awareness and strength to yeah. reach out. And I think before that is like, you know, having somebody that reaches out to yeah. you. And I think when you get to that spot, I think it's very important to reach back out to anybody that yeah. you can and say, Hey, are you good? Or how right. did that hit and it's, you? Yeah. And it's hard, you know, because it was it was easy to go to Andy because I knew he'd been through what I'd been through. Yeah. And he zero judgment. Yeah. You know, and, that, and when that voice is talking to you in that head, it, it's it's offering that help with no judgment. Yeah. You know, you don't want to walk up and say, man, I've seen how much drugs you're doing. You need to get sober. You're not going to win anybody over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, I know you're in a bad spot. I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what gets somebody coming uh, around to yeah, say, hey, yeah, man, yeah. what's up? You know, this is how I'm feeling. I'm in bad shape. Help me find me a bed somewhere. Yeah. And that non-judgment really helps coy that voice. Because that voice is telling that addict, 
or that alcoholic that you're not there to help. You're only yeah, there yeah, to take yeah. something from them, yeah. which is the drugs and alcohol. That's yeah, what yeah. you're there for. Yeah. Let me help you get off this shit yeah. and kick it. Yeah. Um, so moving on from yeah. all that, uh, I think we've talked a little bit about, just real quick, we'll briefly go over. We talked about the industry changing mm-hmm. some, and I think we talked about that kind of in music and going more towards concerts. Um, is there anything that like you predict or see or would like to see the industry go in terms of technology, people, and then also like business-wise, like as a commodity, like is it changing? Is it getting more? Has it stayed the same? Like, One of the problems that I've had in the years that I've done this is the prices aren't going up. For the for the end provider, for the sound company, the lighting company, the production house, is is f- still fighting for every dollar they get, because again, you know, a new guy, a new startup, is going to get out there, get a loan for the gear, do whatever they can to get their share of the market. That's the American way. Yeah. The pro- you know, so it really hurts when you look at the industry as a whole. It does start to hurt that there's. Uh, I don't want to call it any price fixing. It's un- it's not very. Uh, American, so to speak, or very uh, uh, capitalist, but the you know when when you get that un- entrepreneur out there undercutting everybody, that's hurting what I can pay my people. Um, it's hurting the income of the company I work for, which is neither here nor there. It's hurting the ability to give benefits. Yeah, um, a lot of stuff. So that competitive is hard, and you know, like where I work and where the kind of companies I've already worked to worked. Um, that I've always worked for is always been based on volume. Yeah. It's really hard. You know, you and I have discussed, you know, companies like VR, PRG, the rental prices that they're charging us as the end provider to, for that yeah, yeah, yeah. equipment they don't have. It's like everybody's ripping off a pound of flesh, but nobody's given any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, everybody's got a couple of those high profit clients, mm-hmm. but trying to find that balance, you know, it's like by driving the pricing down, by giving. Uh, the promoters, the ability to shop around and, you know, sometimes five and $6,000, sometimes finding somebody just doing the job because their loan payment for the gear is due tomorrow. These mm-hmm. guys will search for that. Yeah. Um, that hurts everybody. Um, and, you know, like you and I have talked about, you know, having a classroom at the shop where we can do some of that training mm-hmm. and spend that money to make it, you know, like you're saying, the target example, say, mm-hmm. okay, Let's have some training. Let's get this all tightened up so it's one mass connector, two mass connectors, yeah, everything yeah, yeah. works. That We need the money to do that. And yeah. when we're fighting against always getting beat for that bottom dollar, it hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to see in some way the price, there, there be some kind of way that without destroying the business model and not destroying opportunity, that we could get into something where there's a little more profitability in the business because it's not just audio company, lighting company, staging company. Mm-hmm. Everybody's coming in, you know, and all you're doing is going to end up being a bunch of one-off business owners with mm-hmm. no employees, mm-hmm. uh, with no training, no benefits, no anything. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, VR, but look, they just went bankrupt and had to be bought out by PRG. Mm-hmm. At what, you know, there's there's got to be some way to stabilize our business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to come from as we've gotten these schools together, mm-hmm. regulations like in LA, yeah, it's very competitive. However, because it's not a right to work state, because there's a way station on every corner, because OSHA shows up to some concerts, because uh, safety safety officers from the fire department show up to every show because mm-hmm. of all this regulation. You can only get so cheap. Same in New York, Chicago, some other major mm-hmm. cities that they 
man, I don't believe in regulation, but it's going to be needed. Mm-hmm. You know, simply, we uh, here's an example you'll you'll understand, not necessarily listeners, but you know, we loaded a truck, one of the big twenty four foot trucks, with some staging to go to Colorado the other day. It only we ran out of weight in one third of loading, so you know, I had two thirds of that truck left, almost eighteen feet of truck empty to meet that weight requirement. Mm-hmm. So what do I got? I've got a competitor truck going across the state lines, fully loaded, 38, 40,000 pounds in a 26,000-pound truck, mm-hmm. driving that price down. Yeah. So now I've got to run a truck illegally, unsafe, to meet the standard. I mean, just like we're talking to you, mm-hmm. leaving at 4 in the morning. Because yeah. there's no money for you to drive the night before, get a hotel, night sleep, load in at 7 a.m., go back to the hotel after the gig, and, you know... Mm-hmm. I like to see us not get treated better than these guys who tie dogs to a tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, sometimes I feel that we're treated that way. Do you feel like you have to, like, you know, you were talking about with talking with, with Greg before, do you have to do those gigs now? I personally don't, but I sent another guy to do them. But that's what I'm saying. Like, does, does the company still have to do the, those gigs? Like, you know, you said you were afraid to say no well, that gig, yeah, yeah, you know? no, that, that is a problem of mine, and there is a fear of allowing too many of those gigs to open up mm-hmm. that your competitor will now be on your level. Mm-hmm. So you have some of that's just strategic to keep your competition at bay. Mm-hmm. You know, like how long did I do midnight rodeos for? Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much yeah. till they closed, but that was a strategic yeah. move for two reasons. One was money keep the competition down, but going back to my training ground where I could send younger engineers to cut their teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's also that about those lesser gigs is I don't want to say lesser every gig's important but yeah. some of those lesser paying gigs that may not be up to snuff yeah. is a great place for those younger engineers to go get that experience. Yeah. I, I think what's hard <laughs> is is that like, you know, when you when you've got 3 gigs a week that you do yeah. is 2 gigs you make good money on, you got right. a 50% profit margin. Right. Let's say you make $10,000 right. with both gigs on there. And then you got the third gig that you're just trying to keep the other guy out that's got a negative margin. You're losing two grand on. But at the end of the week, you still make eight grand. Like, I think that's a that's a universal tactic. Well, Walmart does it. You yeah. know that Walmart moved oh. all the bread and milk to the back of the store and put negative profit margin items at the front just to get you to walk all the way back because they knew all you needed was bread and milk. Right. And Sam Walton pioneered that idea of a negative margin and right. getting people to walk back there because he's like, I'll take the hit here and I'll make all the money I've on the milk and the I've never walked out of there with $8 that I intended on spending. <laughs> exactly. That's the truth. That's yeah. why I don't even go in there anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard when you've got yeah. 50 shows a week Yeah, and how, how do you collect and look back at all the data and say, where am I losing? Where am I doing? And what's worth it You know, at that and point? And that's what we're working on yeah, now. Yeah. And you and I have had some off, yeah. offline discussions yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, okay, so go, going off of that, Three last things on the industry, yeah. and then we'll get on current first quick, is who do you think is adapting and doing really well as companies out there right now in this industry? And then the last thing is just any advice or tips you have to guys out there, girls out there trying to, to get in. Well, I, who's adapting really well? I mean, I, I think to some degree we are um, in the special event side of our business. People are looking for turnkey. Yeah. And that's something we've done pretty darn well. Um if you look at touring, I think Eighth Day has done really good. But my favorite company is Sound Image in, in uh, Southern California. Okay, shout out to Sound Image. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dave Shadone is the owner over there. And I remember talking to him back in the 90s. Do um, they still have Taylor Swift? I'm not sure. Didn't they have her for a second? Yeah. And Jonas Brothers, yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they've had everybody. Yeah, yeah. And the I like Dave 
approach to it because he was one of the pioneers of Vertac and uh, carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. That was actually his design. Uh, he just decided. He saw which way the wind was blowing. He'll just buy whatever PA a major artist wants. Doesn't matter. And it's like, I like that. You know, it, He's big enough to do it. Not everybody can do it. But instead of shoving a brand down your throat, he's saying, come to me. I've got it all. Yeah. Whatever you want, we'll design it for you. Yeah. I'm sure on on the other end that I don't see is, well, you got to have it out for a year. You got to do this. You got to do that. But I really like the approach he's taking. It's just all black cases full of stuff. And which one do you want? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's the, you know, he's he's the pioneer in that. I think we're going to yeah. see that more. Um, is, we're either going to see it more or we're going to see it less as... Yeah, it used to look like Meyer and EAW. Now it looks like D&B and L Acoustics. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? You it know? was PV at one time. It was PV at one time, too. Yeah. And if the Mark 8 comes back, I'm going to want nine of those to run yeah. out. Because yeah. I don't care anymore. I just I don't have an ego. I just want to yeah. see it. Um, I want to see the work come in. And I yeah, want to yeah, see yeah. us all be successful. Yeah. You know, I mean, I... You've you've been around me long enough. Even with my major competitors, I can, I can shout them all out right now. Yeah. Uh, I never talk negatively about them. Yeah. You know, because they're all good companies. They're all out there trying to do good work and supply good service. Yeah. Um. You know, it's just finding our way to be more unique and have our niche. That. Yeah. 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 You know. So. And tell your story, as yeah. they say, what your <laughs> yeah. story is. Um. And what was the other one? I'm sorry. What advice or tips do you have for guy girls out there at any age that want to get into this? At a certain point, worry about experience more than the paycheck. And that is saying, I don't care if the club gig pays $50 for the day for the hand. If you're not doing anything, go do it. Okay. Grab that experience. Okay. Because when you come to when you come to the spot where they pay the money, you're going to want that experience to demand the money. Um, and you also just don't want to pass up. I miss, you know, and I, I meant to say this earlier, man, we've, <laughs> we've We're been rolling. rolling. We're rolling. <laughs> but I meant to say this earlier is one thing I miss. I used to do Soma down in, in San Diego, and that's where Blink played, uh, Blink to Static X to Machine Head. Soma, uh, large music festival down there, yeah? No, 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 thousand seat venue, oh, all ages, okay. sold okay. no alcohol. It, it, it was beautiful. It was just okay. like, it, it, it was as cool as Warp Tour was when it started. You know, $20 yeah. tickets, you know, dollar waters. That whole vibe of just getting the kids a safe place to go enjoy a, a punk rock yeah, show yeah. back then. And I miss that energy from those types of venues that we just don't exist anymore. It's, you know, uh, a guy named Lynn used to own Soma. Uh, you know, back when uh, back when Paul owned Golden Voice outright, and they're the big promoter in L.A., there was this feeling of just this energy, these venues, and it really made you feel like you were involved. Yeah. And you don't want, you know, I know those venues still exist. It's just not what they used to be, but you don't want to miss those experiences. Uh, and that uh, I'm trying to get a point across, and I don't think I'm making it, but it's, <laughs> they don't pass those experiences up because you don't like the paycheck. Mm-hmm. You don't want to sign up to the cheap gig for the rest of your life, but go do it. Yeah. Go do it a few times. Don't do it if it's unsafe or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we all know the venue that pays 50 bucks or yeah. 100 bucks or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, just just go work it a few times. It's just not going to hurt you to yeah, do yeah. that on a Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that experience, you know. Okay. Um, that little, that CD player rental was CD free. player rental, yeah. You know, I just gave it because I thought it was cool. Yeah, you know, I the went, first oh. CDJ. <laughs> so yeah, just get out there and get that experience any way you can, especially if you're young. 
Um, and that way, you're just all you're doing is putting more tools in the tool bag for when the opportunity yeah, yeah, to yeah. do better goes. And you never know who you're going to meet at some little street festival, like that little gig I did meeting Dross. Yeah, you know? it's true. Who, who wants to go do South by Southwest at some corner lot? Yeah, no gotta... wants to do South by Southwest <laughs> ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it got me a gig. You yeah, know? yeah. I, you just never know when the opportunity is going to be there, especially in our business. I mean, uh, Tommy uh, uh, Trio, um, Danny Tro- Danny Trio, mm-hmm. his story is great to listen to. He, uh, not, he, I mean, he's pretty open about being in recovery. He was sitting at home, got a call from a guy who just didn't want to drink. Shows up, the guy's a caterer in a moving set, movie set, didn't want to go. Just one of those midnight phone calls for a drunk and... He ended up there, and the director of the movie said, man, how do you look at some prison blues? And that's how he started his gig. He just showed up to help a guy. Then he put on some prison blues and, uh, or, uh, or, you know, the orange yeah, jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah. And did a fight Danny scene. Danny Trejo? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Did a fight scene. Did okay. I say his name wrong? You said Drio. I was Drio, like, who is this sorry. guy? Yeah, yeah, Danny, Danny Trejo. Trejo. Yeah. So, yeah, his story is really cool. You know, yeah, look it yeah. up. But yeah, so then it was, hey, one fight scene. He did the fight scene so well, he got hired as a choreograph. Okay. Another fight scene on another movie set. And then somebody liked the way it, it just domino affected. Yeah. So that's saying be at the right place at the right time. Just be at any place. Just be and at it'll any place. The right you know, time. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, just a little bit about current affairs really quick. Sure. Uh, so current administration, talked a little, very briefly about yeah. that. Trump administration, um, North Korea. What do you think about that? Like, well, it, is it fluff? Is it the real deal? Is, is I don't it a good know. thing? I don't know. And I've been so busy the past few days, I haven't kept up on it. I mean, the only thing I've seen is a meme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's been my news lately. Uh, I'm hoping, for the love of God, that, you know, I'd like to see North Korea come into the fold of humanity. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's just been an. I don't. I don't want to say anything overly negative, but it's, it, it's been a dictatorship and a yeah, closed yeah. border for so long, and the people there could really use uh, them coming out into the free world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're, one of the things I want to go to this winter is I want to go to China. Mm-hmm. You know, China's seen a industrial revolution, um, and I think if Korea just opens up, if North Korea opens up a little bit, just a little bit, they're going to see that same revolution happened yeah. there as well uh we've seen it in many other countries in our lifetime you know even vietnam taiwan um and they all start the same way you know get into the manufacturing and then they they come up yeah yeah um and i think north korea is posed if their leader is willing to open that gate and this is the most open they've been since the korean war yeah. so uh i'm i'm History's only going to tell what the current administration yeah, yeah, yeah. has pulled off. Is the Trump administration all bad? All good? <sighs> okay, so, quick story. When I first saw him start to float around, hmm. I thought, you know what? I'm going to vote for that guy. Okay. And this isn't, this, this yeah, it was, what, two elections ago. He was kind of floating around and he was flirting with the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you know what we really need? We need to, kind of a douchebag who says I'm a douchebag. I don't know any politician. Show me one. Uh, I mean, Obama was a pretty classy, dude. Yeah. Um, and you know, he might be the exception to the rule because you know Clinton, he wasn't very classy. I mean, we all know what he was doing behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. He got caught. Yeah. Uh, we also know that some of the politics were a little dirtier than we would like. Yeah. But I think, but I think did make politics, some progress in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think some, I think some politics have to be dirty. Okay. Um, 
but you know, just dirty in that you know you're dealing with many other countries, many personalities. You know, you have to horse train. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. look at. Uh, gosh, I don't want to get too far off topic, but look at you know Obama got uh, health care through. Hmm. Unfortunately, you know his plan. I read his book. I was you know what first African American president. You bet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bet your ass. I was I was reading his book. I was yeah, looking at his yeah. history, and I was all about it. And I'm still all about it. And I've been traditionally a conservative, uh, although I've never voted that way. Okay. Yeah, I hope my mom's not listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyhow, um, you know, and I can't really look back on any of the conservative guys and see they all have their moments. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think, and you know, Clinton had his moments, but I think Obama was pretty classy all the way through. And I think he tried. You know, the whole thing he had that beer with the guy. I forget what that was all about. I was just thinking about this the other day. He sat out in the garden, had a beer with the. Regular Joe, and he mm-hmm. called, the guy called him out, and he said, "No, no, come on down, yeah, talk yeah, to me." Yeah, yeah. Let's the talk guy about was it. a jerk, but he still he was trying new stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was doing, and so did Clinton. Clinton tried some new stuff to appeal to us. You know, Clinton was great because I was quite young. I, I think I voted for Clinton again. Hope my mom's not listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, I don't know what Trump's going to do. I, I was hoping he was going to be. On one aspect, I like the tweets. Everybody's going to talk shit about it. But for the first time, when he tweets, there's nobody in between us and what he's tweeting. So you feel like connected? uh, For better or for worse, we're connected. Okay. I mean, some of the stuff he has said is crazy. And it's like, oh, man, you represent me out there? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I agree with that. However, I hope that's a fad that stays with other presidents. Yeah. Better or for worse. Because we don't have some speechwriter, we don't have some guy, you know, anybody in, in any kind of. So you power. think the tweets are him? Uh, let's not. I'm hoping. You know, okay. Yeah. For better or for worse, again, I'm hoping because I just, I'm hoping we see, um, that kind of connectivity. Yeah. In the future, I, I was dead set against it with rock stars. Everybody thinks this rock star is supposed to be available, whether it's through Facebook, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and meet you at the show and meet you for free and take yeah, your yeah, time yeah. and me, 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 me. But some kind of broad, general way that I don't think there's a speechwriter in between me and the president or me mm-hmm. and my congressman or me yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of unfortunately with him, it's not refreshing, but it's it's this thing that I'm kind of digging and I hope it goes gotcha. that way. Okay. Um. I'm not a fan. I was hoping to be. I was hoping he'd be so rich and so nonchalant about the political side that he could just be real brass tags mm-hmm. with other world leaders. Yeah. And, you know, we all know he's into Playboy centerfolds and hookers and whatever. We, we, we knew, knew that, that before. We knew that yeah. before. So it's not news on his morals, okay? That's why I liked him. Just, but you know, as he's a, a president, it is... He changed from, you know... The fact that he is a president now, now he's right. got a little, he's got a PR. Is it a PR issue or it shouldn't matter? Uh, you know, you've got the evangelical saying like, oh, well, he's just a man. But then when Barack Obama was in, they were like, how oh, yeah. dare he, <laughs> right. you know? And I just, unfortunately, you know, I've, I've defriended a lot of people on social media because mm-hmm. I get tired of pros and cons for anybody. It's like, man, I'm just so tired of hearing your fake news article. And, you know, and I hate to drop his term of the fake news, but how much news do you, you know, I've clicked the article. He's trademarked fake yeah, news. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, news that's not exactly accurate, yeah. you know, uh, whether it's about him or anybody else, gets, is old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, come yeah. on. You're just, you know, there seems to be today that I got somebody on my Facebook who thinks being an activist is sharing all these 
articles mm-hmm. that aren't very fact checked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've got them on both sides. And finally, I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm I'm done because you're not helping me stay informed. You're not changing my mind. You know, I'm reading your article, then mm-hmm. I Google something, and it's completely wrong. Yeah, you know, like the not to use a Trump one, but so they said Trump was getting down on the people in Texas and Houston who donated their boat. Mm-hmm. to help the recovery effort. He never said that. What he said was the people who went out in the hurricane on their ships to enjoy the show that the U.S. Coast Guard ended up rescuing mm-hmm. are idiots, or however he said it, yeah. which they are. You're a boater who has a private yacht, and you're going to go out in the open ocean during a hurricane? You get whatever's coming. He, But he also didn't say anything positive about all the people that took their personal boats yeah, yeah, yeah. and was helping the U.S. Coast Guard get people off of roofs. Yeah. But they used that again. And it's like, man, and I see him doing it on other people, and everybody's mm-hmm. just, it's not about the art. I mean, it's almost like the content doesn't matter anymore. It's like some weird headline that everybody's sharing that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. Climate change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's another one. But anyhow, uh, not not a Trump supporter, but uh, and but he's one of those things where I can't wait for history to tell his story. Yeah. What did, did he do? Is he going to end up doing anything good? Is the thing in North Korea going to be something that he actually pulls off? And yeah, it's yeah. like, you know what? If he doesn't do anything else that's too drastic that destroys the country, he actually did do something worthwhile in his presidency. Um, Obama did several things. You know, I keep going back to the health care because it's what a great idea that got so smashed by special interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't special interest. Yeah. Well, it was version person. one. Version they never was, got to go to version two. Well, was version three. was version one what we wanted and what we got was version 132 after mm-hmm. everybody got their hand in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what I think happened, so... It's a it's a tough thing. Moving on from yep. that, uh, school shootings, gun control, mental health. Can we do anything about it? Is it just the well, way things are now? Uh, I, I I wish I, I wish I would have finished my degrees because you know we've become so. What I don't have the information on is you know I came out of a pretty stern childhood with my authority figures. Mm-hmm. Teachers could. You know, uh, I, I wasn't ever at a school where teachers could spank you, but a word from the teacher to your mom? No. No, yeah. no. They did not want that to happen in my house. Yeah. Uh, my neighbors, my my friends, mom, calling my mom? Oh, my God, no way. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, that was legit fear, you know. Um, and I'm wondering if today... We don't have, you know, have we become so light-handed that mm. there's no fear of consequences and people get so hurt that they feel that doing something like taking a gun to a school and shooting a bunch of people or to a movie theater, mm-hmm. have we missed a mental health ticket or have we not installed morals? Where where are we at? And I don't, I don't yeah. have the data. Yeah. Is it you know, both? It could be both. I don't, yeah. I don't know. We have a problem. Yeah. That needs to be solved. Is it, you know, but how do we start by solving the problem? Do you think banning assault rifles or anything like that, will it do nothing? Will it do something but not a lot? Every drug I ever took was legal. And it was never hard to find. So, 
And that's been the case for generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think if you be going to guns, there's enough machine shops out there that could, you know, I mean, there's there's guns out there that are Saturday night specials yeah. that are strictly made by guys in garages to hang out to gangbangers and stuff to sell mm-hmm. on the street. Yeah. Uh, there's guns from other countries that make it across the borders. Mm-hmm. Um, are, if we, if, uh, you know, California has done some pretty decent gun control. Um, without totally taking away the ability, mm-hmm. you know, longer holding periods, mental health checks. I mean, yeah, I'm a gun owner. You know, the only reason I own guns is because people have told me I couldn't. Because you live in Texas. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I bought them <laughs> in California too. But I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not an avid shooter. I'm not an yeah. avid owner. I keep them locked up in a safe, and they're kind of investments. And they're kind of, you told me no, now I want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the the reality is, are we wasting money, energy? Uh, prime time news time are these these are resources that you know every feed on Facebook or Instagram or whatever are to to say you know screw guns yeah. but what's that doing to help that kid that might be stewing down the street right now mm-hmm. anything I don't think so so I think we're missing an opportunity to focus on a kid or an adult or someone who needs that mental health yeah 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 um, you know we have the worst healthcare system in the world or damn near most expensive for and sure. most expensive mm-hmm. so which also puts it out of reach mm-hmm. of people that might have taken hey my kid's not acting right i don't know why mm-hmm. but i can't afford to do anything about it mm-hmm. you know and yeah we're you know that's where we're at that's yeah. the honest truth just like me trying to get off drugs i was too afraid because i didn't want to get in some hundred thousand dollar hole yeah, to yeah. go ask for help yeah you know fortunately that i found other avenues do, but do you think that the gun as an identity thing like inhibits being able to do new legislation or things whether it's taking away like you know assault rifles or not or if it's just saying hey we're not taking them away but you got to do the hold you got to do mental health checks do you think especially in like a state like texas where it's like my guns are who i am it's not i also think if you're a proper gun owner Hell yeah, I want my health check. I want those. I want to keep these freedoms that I do have. I mean, there's also the guys who are saying, well, that's too much information to have on record about me. Well, I, I understand your privacy. But I you really do. Up for Facebook. The problem, huh? But you signed up for Facebook. Right. Everything's there. <laughs> but, you know, we're no longer a country of 40,000 with the English barreling down on us. We are a civilized society who does need some rules and regulations so 200 million people can live together. Yeah. You know, um, but I think, you know, blaming the gun and going, at, that's just an easy target for politicians and news stations. I want to go after why we don't have help for these people and why we can't spot troubled teens and troubled youth. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to have nurses that had more power in schools mm-hmm. to talk to parents. Now parents think they have an opinion. It's like you're in a public school system. Nurse says your son's not, you know, is acting out. Yeah. You can't even say that anymore. You know, I remember when I was a hyper child. Yeah. And every teacher wanted to talk to my mom, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they wanted to try riddling on me. And they wanted to try, you know, me seeing a school counselor and actually talking about stuff. And I was just hyper, you know? I, yeah. I had a lot of energy, you know? But now that's a disease. Uh, daydreaming is now called ADHD. Yeah. Um, it, it, why label so much stuff instead of just, you know, uh, we're so quick to label and so. So quick to label and treat something with a pill, mm-hmm. opposed to saying, "Hey, you know, 
This kid's acting out. Where's the time, though? Like huh? you said with your job, where's the time? Where is the time? But we're not talking about at a privately held company. We're talking at a school system. But it's, uh, you know, and I think it's, it's a lot of the same, right? Yeah, and to a certain degree. However, the idea that a teacher or a school nurse or school counselor can no longer call a parent in and have a parent-teacher conference about your your child acting out, you know, that's an early sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, for they sure. may be calling it right. They're just, hey, you know, your kid's hyper. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why he's not sitting still in class. And I don't know why he goes from saying, asking to borrow a book to punching a kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that poor parent might be working two jobs and doesn't feel they can afford some counseling, that kind of thing. Do you think that that this has really changed a lot in terms of people acting out in violence? Or is it just more well, reported and the media is faster to get to it? I mean, there's some of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've gone from, you know, just in my lifetime, we've gone from what, 50 million person country to 200 million or mm-hmm. almost 300 now? Yeah. I, again, if I know yeah, we're yeah. going here, I'm going to have research to grab my points. Yeah. But, you know, look at the, the growth and look at how on, stacked on top of each other we are now. Mm. I, I think, you know, one of the things I looked at in college was overpopulation and what that's going to do. And we're seeing what that does somewhat in China and Japan. And mm-hmm. uh, Japan has found different ways to deal with it. And I don't, you know, it's there was a high rate of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, we're now seeing we have a high rate of shootings. Mm-hmm. Japan has the low, one of the lowest birth rates in the world because now, people yeah. aren't getting together. They're not getting down. <laughs> They're not. Which is, which is sad for our Japanese brothers and sisters. You Crazy. know, it, yeah. it really is. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, Australia went through the same thing, and I know the Australians are getting down. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last two things here is uh, Me Too. We talked about that a lot. Yeah. Um, is it a good thing? Is it overboard? And what's it like in your industry? Uh, man, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't, th- I think it went away too quick, you know, and I have this, the social media campaigns, mm-hmm. they get over so quick, mm-hmm. you know, uh, me too, uh, I saw a meme about it the other day, which brought it up in our discussion, yeah. I hadn't heard about it for a year. You know, and everybody was me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes away, and it's like, no, this is an everyday thing. You yeah. know, um, I've got to be, you know, we with the ladies at the office now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's sensitivity training, but it's also talking to the guys and the girls mm-hmm. about, hey, let's let's start to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know me, I'm a dirty joke telling. Mm-hmm. You know, innuendo yeah. having, and now that we've got forty people in the off in the in the mm-hmm. shop and. It's time to ch- it's time to chill that out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's you know, it's time for people. Yeah, I, I think it's time for people to respect each other a little more, mm-hmm. um, and realize how friendly you really are with some somebody. Look at Marianne. I've worked with Marianne for twelve years. Shout out to Marianne, <laughs> our girl Marianne. <laughs> you know, and I use this as an example yeah. with everybody is. Uh, for whatever reason, our relationship's not a huggy touchy. Even though twelve years, I mean, she's got my passcodes to my bank. She's had my <laughs> checkbook. You know, it's just been that close of an yeah, environment. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, geez, I'm surprised my wife hasn't looked at her sideways. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but you know, we're not hugging touching. I don't know why, because she's hugging touchy with other people. But for some, whatever reason that is, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I'm married now, and I tell I tell people I'm as a married guy. I'm not going to be hugging and touching with my female employees. Mm-hmm. You know, high fives is as, as, as far as we're going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 
then again, you know, uh, one of the girls, Nicole, come in and give Carlos a hug or something. And it's like, okay, you know what? That's that's fine. You know, we don't want to discourage that behavior. However, Carlos, you got to, you know, keep the hand above the waist, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. or something. I don't know. I'm just saying it's mm-hmm. it's hard because it, it pushes, you know, I, I you know, like uh, our boy, uh, C- uh, I would say C- <laughs> Louis C.K., mm-hmm. you know, thought he was getting down with girls who wanted to get down and then finds out. No, they were trying to use him as a stepping stone or afraid to say no. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy Jesus, okay. Uh, you know, how'd our boy not get the hint or mm-hmm. what happened there? You know, yeah. I'm trying to use that as a more, hey, this mistake happened. Mm-hmm. What what are mistakes and what are real intentions? Like the one dude, uh, what's his name? The one that kicked it off, Weinstein. Weinstein, yeah. Yeah, that guy, burn him at the stake. Let's be honest, Bill Cosby really <laughs> oh, kicked man. it off. Oh. Bill Cosby. Right, well. He took it home. I mean, well, I mean, in the case of Bill Cosby, that's definitely an electric chair violation <laughs> in my book. Uh, he did a lot of great things, though. There's so, I think that's the hard thing is he yeah. did do a lot of good for our society, especially for people of color. Like, yeah. there's so much he did and millions he contributed to yeah. foundations and. But he also raped a bunch of people, so, you know. Like, <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing, it's just... I mean, but it, it's it, the... That, I mean, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, you know, how, how do you even call that one out? You know, uh, it does the good does never, it outweigh? The good never outweighs the bad, or the bad never outweighs. I mean, it's yeah. just like, dude, you drugged and raped people. I mean, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way to... Yeah. There's no way, I don't care how good the Puddin' Pops was and how much money you raised mm-hmm. for cancer. and it It's hard. I, I don't mean, think he did pave the way. Yeah, I don't think one takes away from the other. I don't think the fact that he did all this stuff changes that he, you know, had this, you know, largely successful black sitcom into people's homes and donate all. I don't think it changes that he probably paid the scholarships for some poor kids to go right. somewhere. That doesn't change that. But it also doesn't change the fact that he raped these hundreds of women was because he did all that stuff. I don't know. Okay. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was millions. Millions. <laughs> to billions. But, it, but you know, yeah. it, was a, it was a lot of people. But I don't think one, he doesn't get a, he doesn't get a get out of jail free card right. because he did all that and vice versa. I don't think you can say that he didn't help some people out right. because he did bad things either, you know? Right. No, but it's... Uh, he's got to go to jail either way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, it, he's, he's toast. It, it's hard because, you know, he was also very clean in his comedy and mm-hmm. everything he did. And Fat Albert, come on. Mm-hmm. Saturday morning was all about, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. You know? Um, God, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. First all-black cartoon yep. ever. And ever. on mainstream cable network. Like, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I... I yeah, that, how do, how do you think you like talk about this Me Too stuff to either a younger you or the older guys that are you that are saying, "Oh, we're too PC. I shouldn't have to change anything." You can be you can you can be PC. Uh, you can be politically correct. I think it's a respect thing, um, and I think that's what. Uh, okay, here's something nobody knows. My son came out to me, and I immediately called a couple of my gay friends mm-hmm. and said, "Okay." Me and my son, because of my drug use, have had a rocky road, mm-hmm. and this means a lot to me. Yeah, that he's in tr- that our relationship's Trust grown me. enough yeah. that he's trusted me, and all I want to be is supportive and caring. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, you know, my, my friends were laughing at me because they've known me my whole life. And I said, wait, you guys you can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, look, hey, look, you know, Chris, don't think, don't, you get, you know. But he got he got serious and he said, man, you just got to be there for him. And I'm like, mm-hmm. he goes, just be honest. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and first thing I want to do, yeah, my, my, my gut reaction, and you've known me long enough, was to make a joke and. I was able to suppress that, yeah, and and just you know be that supportive thing. But you know, first thing I did is call a friend, you know, and say, hey, look, you know, I want to make this, you know, he's opened the door, yeah, and I, I want to be, right. yeah, I want to be right. I want to be, you know, yeah. and I don't want to be the the real thing. Was you know, uh, you know, it's now it's not just a lesbian gay community. It's as Chris called it. My friend said, oh yeah, the alphabet soup. He can't stand it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. As, as a gay man, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he's my age, and he's he's seen his share of the negative yeah. towards the gay community. Um, you know, he doesn't like the alphabet soup. He's like, it's just you know, here we are, we're tagging everybody, yeah, and it's yeah. like, you know, and in my world, it shouldn't be tagged just because you have a sexual preference is mm-hmm. is nothing. You know, it's not. I don't. How do I say? It? I don't want to discount it, but I don't want. It. That's not yeah. the. You know, I my buddy Chris or Jared like- or any of my buddies are not. They're not my gay friends or my friends. Yeah. And their husbands are my friends. I have a, I have more uh, gay male friends yeah. <laughs> than I do, uh, yeah. you know, women. But I think you're per, you're, you inherently come from, you know, your perspective is one that is inherently inclusive of that. So I think it's like, on one hand, I, I get what you're saying of, you know, all the labels and all the other yeah. stuff. But if you come from an environment where you're inherently excluded you right. have to make a place for yourself, and so you need the L, you need the G, you need right, the B, right. yeah, you yeah. need all mm-hmm. that because you don't have a place. You and know? Again, not trying to discount yeah, it. Yeah, it yeah. It's it just gets so hard because, like in this case, uh, knowing about all this stuff, and you know, uh, yeah, I, I, gay, lesbian, trans, I, I don't care mm-hmm. as long as you're a good person and you're yeah, yeah. you're out doing the best you can. That's fine by me. Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to be your friend. Choose to be your friend or choose not to be your friend based, based on, on that. that. Yeah. Now, if you're a jerk, not in my life. You yeah. know, I don't need you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a pleasant person to be around. I want you in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to just, you know, I know we've got lengthy here. Yeah. <laughs> so, be, uh, but being all the, these labels, you know, that's why I called my friends. And, yeah. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to offend them by calling uh, something wrong. Yeah. You know, and then he said, "Lead with that." Just, you know, I'm not a PC person in the way that. I know every term, and I, I take pride in knowing yeah, every yeah, term. Because yeah. I haven't had to use those terms because I'm not labeling people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, maybe gay community, but, you know, and I'm sure there's people in the gay community that don't want to be labeled in the gay community, and I do apologize for that. But mm-hmm. to, to, to give it much more than that is, I think, unfair to me, it seems unfair that I, I got to label you as my friend. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're my gay friend, or you're yeah. my lesbian friend, or you're my trans friend. Why are you not just my friend? Yeah, yeah. That, and that's you know, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Mm-hmm. No, you know, yeah, I, you know. I, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. I you and know. maybe I'm a little old school in that, or maybe I'm not being yeah. as sensitive as I should. But I think I have the utmost, or I believe, or I feel like I'm putting out the utmost respect. To me, it's not any different of, you know, as pertains to the industry, if you were to go up to a lighting guy and say, hey, sound guy, hey, stage man. (laughs) You know what I mean? Somebody from the outside would say, why do I care? You're just a roadie. Yeah, yeah, you're just a DJ. You're just a roadie. roadie. But how Mm -hmm. many of uh, people get upset when you're just like, hey, I'm not 
a roadie. I'm not the DJ. Right, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not your freaking DJ. You right. know? So um, I think in terms of that, you know, when people are, especially when you're just coming out, you're not secure, right. totally secure in that. So it's like, yeah, I don't care what you think or what you know about me, but it's right. like when you are, you know, introducing yourself as whatever to the world, whether it's as a mm. sound engineer or you're gay or, or whatever that is, right. like, I'm looking, I'm telling you because I want that affirmation from you to say, hey, it's okay, you're a sound right, engineer, right. or yeah. it's okay that you're gay, and I don't care, because yeah. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me. But also, right. like, I would imagine they'd want you to, like, ask about that or know or, right. you know, support who they're dating or whatever that comes yeah, into yeah. that, I would and, imagine. And yeah. I think there's a certain amount of, you know, I mean, of your friends and whatnot, it's nice to know. Because what what if I know you know uh, what if I know another guy that's looking to hook up? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how can you share the love? Yeah, yeah. or yeah. or you know, um, you know, I'm completely hetero and I don't mind seeing guys cuddle, kiss, hold hands. Yeah, much further than that. Some of the gay events that I've done. Mm-hmm. Woo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's not to say it's wrong, or I think that's unnatural. It's just you know, that's yeah. not a. I, I don't think I'd want to be at an event where there was a straight couple having sex. Right, like, right. <laughs> I mean, that's just I don't want to see it. Right, right. Yeah. So, but you know, when I agree to do gay man's dance party, I also understand that's part of the gig. Yeah. You may see that, and I need, in that environment, to be cool with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it's beyond my comfort level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, my son coming home with, uh, you know, a significant other, I'm going to be fine with that. You yeah. Know? I, I don't want to see my son getting down, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holding hands, cuddling, being on the couch, oh, I'm old, a little kiss, yeah. a little smooch. Not, not a problem. Now, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And the bedroom activities out in the open, come on now. Nobody wants <laughs> to see the kids do that at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So, um, but it is also important for us to know that in that way that, you know, hey, you... you you as my gay friend inviting me over to the gay club mm-hmm. may not be the way I want to spend my Saturday night yeah, or yeah. I just need to be mentally prepared what yeah, I'm walking yeah. into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't want to think you're just showing up and all of a sudden everybody's in leather and it's the white party versus the black party mm-hmm. and then we're getting down yeah. with that high energy. Uh, may not, you know, and I'm dressed in my gray t-shirt and black shorts. Uh, you know, yeah. I might want to be. Yeah. yeah. Know, I think I'm a bear. I, think I, can, <laughs> I can throw down. I, I, I got the hairy back. I think there's you know? a, there's a degrees to that also yeah. of, of and, and like you said, if you're prepared, like there's a, there's a big gay club in Dallas called mm-hmm. S4. That's like electronic dance. Yeah. And it's gay in the sense of there's not lesbians there. It's right. all gay you, guys. You notice that? The, and, fellow, the fellows and the ladies don't uh, mix as often as you yeah, would think. Yeah, in, in and, Dallas, I, I have noticed that. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Same with LA. But yeah, it's, it's like that as well. But yeah. it, it's interesting because like if somebody wants to go there and it's like their birthday, I know what I'm getting yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. And it, exactly. it's very, mm-hmm. it's one of those clubs. You can go to a straight club, especially, you know, the females know this where everybody's just bombarding you. Right. So it's one of those clubs that there's just all these people, yeah. shirts off. And oh, it's yeah. just like oh, that. Yeah. Not my scene, but if it's yeah. someone's other thing, I know, hey, I got to keep my that, boundaries uh-huh. or whatever. But at the same time, you know, there's other And gay I always clubs. say if a guy rolls up on me, at least somebody's looking. Yeah, you, you know, know what I mean? You maybe get a free positives. drink out of it, yeah. you know? Uh, but I'm not going to lead a guy on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, hey, if you're trying to I'm turn not me a drink, I've gonna do done it. that at Starbucks <laughs> before, and I have gotten hooked up with some muffins, <laughs> and I had no shame. <laughs> yeah, right. no, no shame. shame. <laughs> what is a wink? Is a wink not going to hurt anybody, right? Right, right. right? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, some of the other, you know, clubs that are, that are I feel like, you know, 
less eccentric, you know, whether they're the gay clubs or the lesbian clubs. Like I've gone to several times with my friends and we've danced, hang out at the bar. Yeah. It's no different than if you're at like a straight bar, right? you know, and it's just like, if you, even if you go to a straight hip hop or rave dance club, yep. everybody's going to be slamming their junk on you. Yeah, yeah. And oh, that's yeah. not a place that I want to be at unless I know, right. Hey, that, I'm going that here. You're signing up for so, it. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think the same thing there. I, I totally agree. Um, moving on to the last point here, yep. what's something that you think is important that's not getting talked about in the media and news or with people. Well, I think we touched on it that I think so much energy is being taken up by, you know, it's been good. You see how much I haven't touched it. Uh, yeah. Talking about my phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. He just touched his phone. Uh, yeah. Air quotes. <laughs> well, you know, I've got how many, uh, 19 text messages while like we've that. been here. Like <laughs> but, um, I think a lot of it is actually just the root issues. Uh, you know, like you said, you know, or like I, my thing is we spend so much energy on promoting negative politics or promoting, you know, gun control opposed mm-hmm. to promoting, hey, you know, keep an eye out for that guy that does need that help. I mean, whether it's the guns and mental health and drugs and are, are we being overly, you know, there's just not a corner clinic where you can just go. Yeah, I went to Cuba with Ozamali, and they have a clinic on every corner, and it's it's open to whether you got a cut, a scratch, you know, a counselor if you've got something to talk about, or you you just don't feel right. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a health clinic, both mental and physical. Um, and when we went there, we took basic supplies: cotton balls, hydrogen peroxide, rubbing alcohol. And this is back in nineties, uh, uh, early nineties, before it was uh, legal. You had to fly out of Tijuana to go there. Um, and we don't have anything like that. You know, I, I was sick and I went over to the clinic and I've got health insurance. And it still cost me $1,000 to walk into the ER. And my, my my general care guy couldn't take me. The flu was so bad this year. Mm-hmm. And the ER was full. And I just, man, why am I in the ER for a flu taking up something that might come in, somebody from a car, whatever. Yeah. So I went over there. It was $1,000. You know, and it, it, it wasn't helpful. You know, they gave me a shot and on my way. But, you know, nobody's checking in with you. Mm-hmm. You know, here's your shot. We swabbed you. Out you go. Don't want to do nothing because we might get sued for malpractice. Yeah. And you go somewhere like Cuba where people are greeting you and asking you, and I'm honest, how do you feel today? Well, I feel sick. Well, I feel I feel like the world's coming down on me. I feel yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, and we don't, we don't have that. So, you know, we've got, and we have the resources for yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you just got rid of med- medical lawsuits for no reason, and uh, what do you call it? Um litigation no the lawsuits uh, they have a term for you know there's so many lawsuits that are just like oh they gave me a motrin instead of a tylenol superfluous lawsuits yeah that take up the you know that take up all the yeah they just block up the legal system yeah, yeah. they block up the legal system and doctors are paying millions of dollars for coverage every year hospital you know that's why I'm, why is a tylenol 35 dollars? well 25 dollars yeah. of that's going to coverage and five dollars of that's going to run the facility you know, um, my wife has her own insurance on top of the hospital's insurance in case of malpractice. You know, and it's like all she does is, well, I don't want to discount what my wife does, but she's an occupational therapist. Helps mm. people relearn how to brush their teeth, take showers, yeah. cook food yeah, before they go deal. home. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's she's still going to have malpractice insurance. Mm-hmm. What, you flipped a burger wrong, now you're at fault, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's physical stuff with it, too. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, we're so over the top with the free handout that it's to the point of jamming up. Yeah, yeah. You know, even look at a little fender bender turns into a, you know, 
million dollar insurance. Well, you know, yeah, some kind of you yeah, know, it gets gonna, crazy. Yeah, I, you I, can't just go to the body shop and five hundred dollar exchange and hey, sorry, my bad, I bumped into you. You know, no, yeah, here, give me your insurance. My insurance calls your insurance. All of a sudden, I get five thousand dollars and my truck car gets fixed. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. was it really a five thousand dollar inconvenience? So anyway, I mean, I go on about those just the yeah, basics. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that we because of those ba- not taking care of those basics, I, yeah. I think we're gonna stunt as a society. Yeah. So really, just you know, I think kind of wrapping that there's checking in, like local check ins, whether yeah. that's a local check in with the community, local check in right. with a friend, like wrapped up in the media, the headlines, right. all that right. stuff, just saying, hey, mm-hmm. I think, and, and you know, like I said, the opportunity where teacher or somebody might be able to reach out to a, a mother without fear of losing their job or the PTA coming hey, down. Hey, kid's or, being an asshole. Yeah. Or, hey, your kid just needs, you know, help. Your kid's talking, you know, like yeah. there's a... I've got a lot of friends that, that do the teaching thing and they yeah. go from the, you know, middle class, upper class world and they want to save the world, get into right. teaching and 12 months in, they're just like, there's no way because, you know, they got kids that are schizophrenic, kids that bring guns to school, you know, kids that haven't eaten or showered in days. Like, they're just like, how am I supposed to teach them how to add and subtract when I'm just trying to keep these kids fed? I'm trying to keep one from, you know, cutting themselves in class, like, you know. Right, and, 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 you know. And and that's like first, second graders. That's not high school. Right, no, now that's call CPS and they take the kid, put the kid in the system and... uh, Yeah. Whoa. That's a whole other thing, yeah. Yeah. So, cool. I don't well, have answers today yeah, for that. But. Yeah, no. Well, uh, I appreciate you being here. Um, anything you want to say? Let people know what's going on with you. Man, Shows this we, week. We want people to come find you. Jobs, shout out. This is your promo blast. So. Oh, this is my promo yeah, blast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I just, I'm not that kind of guy. You're not that kind of guy? <laughs> you know, we talked about Blues on the Green. You know, that's that's been our big project. Rot Rally just ended. Um, you know, Carrollton's coming up. I mean, okay. there's... There, there's all kinds of events, and uh, you know, how can people find you? Get a hold of you? Talk no more about you, no more about the company. How can they uh, find sound? All, all me, the company. We're all on Facebook. I answer messages there all the time. Um, nothing wrong with calling or emailing Chris at MillerProAudio.com um, or getting us through Facebook or whatever. Walk in the front door. Um, you know, give us a shout. And where are you guys located? Uh, we have a, a shop in Austin out out in Del Valley, <laughs> a okay. little further out of town, and then Fort Worth here, uh, off of East State Twenty South, under the name Eagle AVL office up in Oklahoma City, as well as our office in Lubbock that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're always looking to for fresh for fresh talent, and sometimes not so fresh talent if you've been around <laughs> the block. You know, <laughs> awesome, Chris. Well, uh, Chris Warndall, Miller Pro AVL veteran of the entertainment industry. Really appreciate you having you here. Glad to be here. Well, that's it. You made it to the end. Hope your drive, flight, or bathroom bake was safe and enjoyable. If you like this podcast, subscribe to us on any of the major platforms. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, Anchor, and more. For more shows or tips and tricks on the creative and entertainment industry, Do a Google search for Movement Creative or find us on any of the social platforms. As well, you can always find me, your host, on Twitter at Elijah Mora. That's I-L-I-J-A-H-M-O-R-A. Until next time, good morning, good afternoon, and good day.